both doors shut? Okay, here we go. <coughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to the Uttlesford District Council planning meeting, two o'clock. Um, a few sort of housekeeping matters before we start. Uh, we have a full committee today, no substitutes. Uh, Fire alarms, there are no fire alarm drills anticipated, so if the fire alarm does go, please meet on the grass at the front of the building. Can everybody ensure their mobile telephones are turned off now, please? No mobile phones. Please ensure they're turned off. I would remind everybody that the meeting is recorded live and broadcast. Please bear that in mind. Uh, do we have any declarations of interest? Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, Mr Chairman, uh, Saffron Walden Town Council and Planning Committee and to point to item number nine in which both Councillor Fee and myself didn't take part in their de deliberations on that subject. Okay, thank you for that. Councillor Freeman? Yeah, also Town Council. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I also need to make some declarations. Um, item four is in my own district, so the owners of some of the properties are known to me and uh, I did buy some land from the gentleman about 25 years ago but uh, have never spoke to him or met him. And for item 10 of the meeting, I will be leaving the room. Thank you. <clears throat> Previous minutes, can I sign them off as a true record? Yes, okay. Thank you, Councillor Hicks. And with that, we will move to the agenda. And Mrs Denmark will take us through the first item, which is for... UTT 173197, Land South of School Lane in Henham. Mrs Denmark. Thank you very much, Chairman. This application relates to a site located in Henham at the end of School Lane and to the um, east and south of Vernon's Close. The application site incorporates the land that makes up Henham and Ugly Primary School, including land they currently lease as playing fields and also areas of scrubland. The areas of scrubland are this parcel here, here and here. The school boundary is uh, along this line here and the area of land they lease is in this area here. The proposals relate to the erection of 36 dwellings with a new access road passing the front of the primary school. The new access road will be on land currently leased by the school and therefore replacement playing fields are required and will be provided to the rear of the existing school on this area. Else come? On this area here. A new car park for the school will be provided here. Affordable housing is proposed, so it will be 40%. The purple um, dwellings would be the affordable ones. The proposed develop, uh, this gives you an indication of the scale and type of the dwellings. Two bungalows are proposed within the site. The development would be carried out in five phases. Phase one would be the formation of the temporary access um, and the erection of a compound and the enlargement of the existing staff car park. Phase two would be the formation of the extension to the playing fields. Phase three would be the formation of the permanent staff car park, which is in this area here. 
and the formation of a drop-off car park up here. Phase four would be the construction of the estate road, and construction five, sorry, phase five would be the construction of the houses. The scheme is essentially the same as that which was um, considered by the council previously. That scheme was recommended for approval by officers and reviews by the planning committee, essentially on highway grounds and impacts on the character of a rural area. The inspector considered the proposals in great detail, in particular the highway issues, and concluded that the scheme was acceptable. The appeal was dismissed duly solely on the grounds that the developer had failed to secure a legal agreement which would ensure the delivery of the playing fields and linking the housing application to a separate SUDS application. This time around they've included the SUDS within the one application, so we haven't got that issue this time. You'll no doubt hear representations that this application should be refused or you cannot determine this application because there is no Section 106 legal obligation in place to ensure the delivery of the playing fields. This section 106 is currently being negotiated by Uttlesford District Council and Essex County Council who have confirmed that they are willing to enter into a legal obligation, see paragraph 8.2 on page 18. And once this is negotiated, this will be passed to Persimmon Homes for signing. This is standard practice and what you're being asked to do today is no different to what is normally put before you, nearly every planning committee. You are being asked to make a resolution to refuse a planning application unless the applicant enters into a Section 106 legal obligation. Therefore, if the developer either fails to enter into the obligation or is not happy with the requirements of the obligation as drafted by the Council, then the application will be refused. However, if the developer does enter into Section 106, then the application would be approved as set out in the resolution. You will also no doubt hear representations regarding provision of a two metre wide footpath as required by condition five. This is a Grampian condition requiring the footpath to be widened to two metres. A condition required by Essex County Council Highways on land owned and controlled by Essex County Council. As a Grampian condition, if the footpath isn't widened, then the development cannot go ahead. Given the comments of the inspector in relation to the previous scheme, it is recommended that this application be approved as set out in the agenda as amended in the supplementary list of representations where I've amended um, the word, uh, sorry, put in an extra condition and um, added the drop-off area to the section 106 requirements. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Denmark. We have several speakers, so I'll start with Councillor Petrina Lees. Katrina, you have three minutes. Five minutes? I tried three then. As you know, planning policy, I'm always saying ten words or less, but it's a bit tricky, isn't it? I'm not going to be long because I know there's lots of people behind me. I know Nigel's going to tell me off, but I do feel in a planning committee that it is a shame, isn't it, that we have to look at a, a development by a developer that already has a development in the ward and hasn't finished it properly. And we know that's true. But we can't look at that. We have to look at other things. So let's look at this application that Persimmon have asked and keep asking and asked again. And it's been refused. There's been an appeal. The appeal was upheld on the refusal. Henham Parish Council paid for their own legal representation at that, which they will do again if it goes to appeal. 
We are a little bit weary at planning applications. Um, my particular ward are very weary, obviously. And what we would like to say is my ward believe that if you look at your documentation, I'm sure you've all read it, that it was refused for many reasons, not in the countryside, the school didn't want it, couldn't do the playing field. And there are people behind me who are going to make those points. So all I am doing for my ward, who have asked me to ask you, is to please think again, uphold what you did before. Last time you looked at it, you addressed it, and you realised that this wasn't the right application for this area. Under three minutes. Thank you, Petrina. Um, Mo Park. Mr Park, you also have three minutes. got a big enough voice anyway. Um, my name's Mo Park. I'm Joint Chair of Governors at Henham and Ugly Primary School and I'm speaking on behalf of the governing body and new head teacher Kim Hall who is here today. I reside in Saffron Walden. My children left Henham and Ugly some time ago. The full objections of the governing body are contained within our letter dated 18th of January which I'm sure you've all read. They centre upon the health and safety of the school community, curriculum, parking and parents, carers' concerns. Our school achievements have been widely celebrated in our local press in the last two weeks, having been awarded the government-led Platinum School Games Mark. We're the only school in the area to receive it and one of just 104 across the country. This is in no small part due to our facilities and fantastic school field. This development would reduce the size of our school playing field and restrict our ability to provide the correct school sports curriculum. Whilst there is the promise of additional land and additional field, the current area will be significantly reduced for an undefined period of time and we have no guarantee that the new field will be of similar excellent quality or sustainable. Yesterday was an extremely proud day for me and many other Uttlesford residents. I travelled to Worcester to watch the Saffron Walden County High School win the under-15 final of the National Rugby Cup. It was a fantastic day. And you're probably asking, why is that relevant here? Well, it's relevant here because members of that team, my son included, used to attend Henham and Ugly Primary School from the age of five and I can still remember them safely running, scooting and riding through the school gates. That was almost 10 years ago when I first became a school governor and even at that time there was the threat of dangerous and thoughtless development on this land. Since then the school governors have fought for parking improvements around the school entrance and environs and though not ideal there, have been, there has never been a serious road injury or incident in our area. The current application, as previous applications, ignores the safety of our children and our school community. It makes a mockery of it and any sensible concerned citizen. This committee rightly and correctly refused an almost identical application to the one which is presented today on the 10th of May 2016. The, the first reason given was 
the proposal would give rise to a form of development which results in compromise to the road safety of other road users. There has been no change, no fundamental change. Happy young children are very small, very lively and fun to be around, but they do not mix well with heavy plant, machinery, diggers and the like. On behalf of the governing body and our head teacher, can I please request that this application is refused. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Park. Um, Amanda Mitchell. Amanda, three minutes. I am a parent of two children who attend Hendermanogley Primary School. I live in Cedarwood, a house on Mill Road, just a few metres from the entrance to School Lane. I hope that you have all read the 271 letters of objection because unfortunately the committee officer report appears to be missing rather a lot of facts. For the same development two years ago the report included 51 reasons for objection, this time it has just 17. Our concerns as residents and parents have not changed, so why is section 9.2 so lacking? I cannot cover all of those missing points, but I would like to expand on one, the safety of children. Allowing this development will create additional traffic and create a huge safety hazard for the 300-plus school children and their adults walking via School Lane every day. Like any other narrow cul-de-sac with a school in it, School Lane is a busy road, but for many years our head teacher has fought tirelessly to limit the number of parents driving into it. She has done this to make access to her school safe, and this is evidence in that until now it has continued to be an accident-free area. There are still some parents that drive into School Lane, but the vast majority pick up on neighbouring roads. Putting 36 additional houses next to our school would at least triple the amount of non-school traffic entering School Lane. But it goes further than this because Persimmons' plans have squeezed in 10 new parental drop-off points. Any parent will tell you that a five-year-old child does not get dropped off. They need to be walked to a classroom. Ten spaces for over 60 cars to deliver over 100 children within a five-minute window. Ridiculous. This empty gesture will only serve to undo all of the good work that has been done and will drive enormous volumes of traffic into School Lane. The drop-off points will create an even greater safety hazard to our children. But the problem will go further than this because if cars are unable to get into School Lane due to the congested drop-off points, then they'll be forced to sit on Mill Road. And as a piano teacher, I sit and spend a number of hours in a room that looks onto that very narrow blind bend just before school lane, emergency stops, minor bumps, wing mirrors being hit, curbs being mounted, all frequent events daily. And of course we are a village that is surrounded by farms, so tractors, tanker trucks and other wide vehicles use this main route, this narrow road through our village every single day. It is an incredibly dangerous spot. Buses beat their horns just to go round it. My two cats were run over within weeks of moving to Henham. This development will force cars to queue around this same very, very, very dangerous bend. The repercussions will be disastrous. It won't just be cats that are run over. And what about the threat to our children of attending a school that essentially is going to become a building site? Massive construction vehicles arriving and leaving the village, driving along narrow roads and entering the site so close to the proximity of the school, our children. A safe and positive learning experience, not a chance. We object to this development that will put the lives of our children at risk. When I told my seven-year-old son today where I was going, Alex said, but mummy, I thought they were not allowed to build because it wasn't safe. I told him that some people still wanted to build the houses and he replied, but why would you do something that could hurt children? I couldn't answer that question. Can you, or perhaps for Simon, can you? Sorry. Andy Long. 
Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. I appreciate I've only got three minutes, and uh, I do hope you'll listen to my statement and consider my opinion valid. Um, I've recently moved to Henham from London. I live in Pimlet Row, which is adjacent to uh, the school lane, and my son attends Henham and Lugby Primary School. Before moving, my partner and I looked at a number of houses in Elsenham, Stanton, Mount Fitchett and surrounding areas. Biggest deciding factor for us was proximity to primary schools and how my son would find it walking to and from school. I literally spent months staking out properties at varying times of the day, walking the route myself with my son in mind, and Plimbit Road was perfect as we could see the school from our house and my son didn't have to cross any mown roads. Now, undoubtedly, there will be disruption to my personal life, but I don't want to dwell on that because it's probably purely selfish motives. I want to focus on the safety of my children and other children. Now, I'm led to believe that should the planned development go ahead, there will be procedures for the management of large site vehicles as part of a thorough risk assessment. However, I work in an industry where I'm serviced by large, articulated lorries and have done so for approaching 30 years. And these are driven by trained adults who, despite repeated coaching, still fail to adhere to risk assessments, delivery timings, prescribed route speed, and they can, in a split second, cause serious damage with a lack of concentration. I know it all too well and it goes wrong. Quite innocuous, it might be a driver has turned up early, upsetting a neighbour. Quite frequently, where drivers misjudge a turn and take out a neighbour's car, or more significant error, damage their entire street of vehicles without even realising they've done it. Drivers being explicitly told not to reverse into my yard as part of a risk assessment because of proximity to a nursery, yet still reversing in they would think, thinking they would take a chance. Extremely lucky that 99.9% .9 of the time, pupils and parents use the front entrance at material times. And what about where a driver, knowing an employee should not have been in the service area at the same time as a moving vehicle, still drove in regardless? And my employee was crushed and killed, wedged between a gate and a wall, and I had to call that poor man's family and break the news. Yeah? Something that I doubt anyone in this room would have the courage to have to do. Worse than that, I had to look at his body on my premises for four hours while I waited for a coroner to come and collect his remains. Yeah? I had to wait until the police opened. That still haunts me today. I have sleepless nights as a result of that. One of my peers had to telephone a relative of a man in his 90s to inform them that due to a driver not entering the, the, the premises through the correct route, their father, their grandfather had been dragged around the block under the tail of an articulated lorry. Yeah? These, are, these are not concocted stories for shock effect or, 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 or shock factor or effect. These are real events that I've personally witnessed. Despite measures being put in place to prevent them, this could easily be my child, anyone in the room's child who attends Henneman Ugly Primary School, and I doubt any one of you could live with that on your conscience if that happened. I'm not against this development for argument's sake, and I, and I suspect the property I live in was subject of a, a similar debate when it was built in the 1980s, but I am concerned that granting this development will set a dangerous precedent for future planning applications, increasing traffic flow into school lane in the future. 36 more houses probably means 72 more cars alone. Um, I'm acutely aware that Uttlesford District Council are probably receiving some form of monetary gesture from Persimmon Homes for the privilege of granting this development. Will the proposed amount be disclosed and a breakdown of how and when this will be spent made fully available? And will the residents of Henham benefit from these funds and able to see them put to use in the immediate area, not absorbed into the Uttersford District Council coffers? Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Mr Long. I'm just going to pass you over to Mr Brown before you come to the table. Um, what, count, what Mr Long has just said there has implied that the council has received financial contributions to allow this plan of mission, which is basically accusing us of corruption. That is completely unacceptable statement, and although he may have made some valid comments which members need to be taking into account, that last comment, which I, I, must, I will, cannot accept that um, the planning committee do not take that on board. <coughs> Ms Richardson, sorry to interrupt you. 
You have three minutes. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. I'm a parent of two children who attend Henham Primary School. I would like to echo the concerns of Amanda and Andy. All of that is, of course, reason enough to refuse this horrendous development, just as the previous committee thankfully did two years ago. But if we look at this in the context of the very latest planning rules published by our government just last week at the National Planning Conference, then the reasons for refusal are even clearer. Theresa May announced that we should not be allowing the largest house builders, who award themselves extortionate bonuses, to be bullying our local governments into poor decisions. She said councils need to ensure that local communities are at the heart of the process and that we had to stop developers from building on sites that aren't allocated in the local plan. Mrs May said that building somewhere that is not part of the plan is something that is not fair on residents. This site is not in the original 2005 local plan and nor is it in the draft plan published last July. So here we are, Persimmon, the largest house builder, who have indeed awarded themselves the largest bonuses. Jeff Fairburn, Chief Executive, £75 million. Mike Colloran, Finance Director, £54 million. Dave Jenkinson, Managing Director, £38 million. That's £167 million to three individuals and indeed £500 million for 140 staff at Persimmon. And Uttlesford, our brilliant team of local councillors has spent thousands of hours and thousands of pounds of public money producing this massive 345-page draft local plan. It spells out very clearly that the 15 Type A villages, of which Henham is one, should in total have 44 new homes between 2016 and 2033. As I'm sure you know, Henham, one single village within your district, has already allowed and built not just 44 but 73 new homes. This is already over and above what you have recommended, yet the majority of residents did not object because we know we need to do our bit in providing the homes that are needed. But we should not be considering a site that is not part of the local plan, especially one that will put the lives of our children at risk. We object to the bullying of one provider coming back again and again and again to try to bulldoze their way through to get their own way because it makes a mockery of our of your local democracy. If you are not going to follow your own recommendations, this, this lengthy, carefully considered, costly document, it's not worth the paper it's written on. This proposed development is exactly the type of development that we are told should not be happening in this country, in this region, in this district. I urge you to stand by your local plan and turn down this application. Lenny McDermott. You have three minutes. Hit the button in the middle, Lindy. Hang on, could you? That's it. I'm the mum of two girls who attend Henham and Ugly Primary School. I'm not a resident of Henham, and I still strongly object to this application. I like to think that every councillor sitting here today is acting in the best interests of our communities. You're supporting the residents, you're representing the residents, and you're trying to make a real difference. You have an opportunity today to make that real difference to our school community. This isn't just another application before you. What this application is asking you to do is to decide whether you believe that 36 more houses in Uttlesford are more important than the lives and the safety of 215 children. These are primary and nursery school age children from 3 to 12 years old. I'll say that again. Are you willing to sign your names approving a development that prioritises houses and profit over the lives and the safety of children aged 3 to 12? I sincerely hope not. 
Of course you've been told by the developer they've done all sorts of things to try and mitigate the serious safety concerns. One ounce of common sense will tell you that bulldozing a road through the main entrance of a primary school is a bad idea. Building houses on the school field is a bad idea. No number of conditions or permutations of this will ever make it safe or acceptable. The fact remains, Persimmons Homes and the landowners are in this for the profit. We heard from Mrs Richardson about the reprehensible profiteering going on in this organisation at the top level. I'll say it again, £167 million between three top executives, £500 million shared between 140 staff. Don't let them line their pockets more by bullying a rural village school. If this was your child or your grandchild's school, I guarantee you, you wouldn't give it one second's consideration. Our children deserve that same duty of care. Don't put them in danger every single day going to school and coming out of school. Some of you were here last time, you rejected it before. The planning inspector rejected this at appeal. Do the right thing. Furthermore, you've been misled to believe that Section 106 is under negotiation. We're a local authority school. We fall under Essex County Council. Surprise, surprise, we talk to Essex County Council. There is no Section 106 under negotiation. There's no clarity on the footpath. Even on that diagram, it doesn't show you how it's going to look when the hedge is removed at the caretaker's house. There's no clarity. That's the main entrance to the school. This is critical. There's also no agreement on a wayleave agreement to get utilities through to the new development. That has to be agreed with the Essex County Council or this development cannot proceed. It cannot be evidenced. Ask for that evidence. I sincerely hope you choose not to prioritise houses and profit over our children's lives and safety. Please don't sign your names in agreement with this application. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. McBurney. Uh, Jeff Gardner. Thank you, members, for listening patiently to what's been said so far. I'm going to make ten points. I'm going to be more concerned with the appeal decision and, and where I think we are. The Nonetheless, the starting point is the development plan. Uh, you had regard to this when you refused it, principally policy S7, countryside and highway safety. The section 70, this uh, policy S7 has been accepted in numerous appeal decisions, including Henham uh, and Elsinham, where it was said to be in conformity with the MPPF and given considerable weight. The inspector's report, which are of, of this, on this last appeal, um, disagreed, but UDC can simply not abandon the policy until a new local plan is adopted, which is effectively what you'll be doing today, which won't be till the end of 2019. The inspector's report also disagreed with highway safety, which would not be, which would not be compromised despite UDC's refusal of planning permission, expert evidence and very serious concerns of the school. The committee must take its own view and not be frightened that Persimmon could appeal again and win. A new inspector could take a different view. You will be well aware of contradicting appeal decisions in your district over many years. 271 letters of objection cannot just be ignored. 
The inspector's basic reason for dismissing the appeal was lack of a document, documented agreement by ECC to its land being taken. The development just cannot go ahead without that. But this is still the position. ECC have not seen, much less agreed, to what is being asked to agree to. Paragraph 1012 of the report states ECC are willing to, willing to enter into a Section 106 agreement regarding the playing fields and car park. This is derived from a letter of the 20th of December last from ECC, and I'll quote this. Subject to agreement regarding appropriate works, ECC welcomes the additional school playing field and also the new staff car park, heads of terms four and five. There are, however, concerns regarding detached drop-off car park, head terms six, and it is undesirable to increase traffic around the school's pedestrians many entry points. This is not unequivocal support. There is nothing more. UDC and the applicants are aware that agreement is also required to take land from the caretaker's garden to create the footpath, suitable footpath for school children, and even the submitted plans are inaccurate. An agreement is required to route services into the site. Without these elements, the development is stymied. Neither matter is mentioned in the section 106 terms in the recommendation. We are still in the same situation the inspector was in her decision, and I'll quote, select, I'll quote this appropriately. Serious concerns, this is her word, serious concerns regarding obligation within the UU, which is an agreement. Matters on land owned by ECC were not signatory to the document. Land owned by ECC is a fundamental part of the application site. Without ECC being party to the agreement, there is no method which the UU before me could be enforced and secured. This factor weighs heavily against the proposals. You need more than an equivocal letter from ECC before you take a decision. You need clear evidence that ECC has agreed to the precise wording, including agreement to extra land taken for pedestrian access for school children and services. You must draw the conclusion that after all the time spent in preparing and assessing the application, the critical need to have ECC agreement, ECC has agreed to nothing. Until it does, <clears throat> you must agree with the inspector's final conclusion. Again, I'll quote, the substantial harm that could result if the appeal proposals were to proceed with the mitigation proposed in the UU, which I have identified as being flawed and therefore cannot be taken into account, the overall harm arising would significantly and demonstrably outweigh the benefits when assessed against the policies and the framework taken as a whole. The proposals do not accord with the development plan when taken as a whole and having and, and having applied the tilted balance as required paragraph 14 of the framework, there is no, no material consideration which warrant a decision other than in accordance with the development plan, i.e. refusal. You minded can wrap it up, Mr Gardner. Yeah? One last sentence. Minded to grant now subject to agreement by ECC is not a sound way to proceed. The inspector refused to do it. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Um, I'm going to take David Mosley, the applicant. He has 15 minutes. Mr Mosley, you have up to 18 minutes. I'm sure you're not going to be that long. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Members. I'm David Mosley. I'm the Planning Manager of Persimmon Homes, Essex. Thank you very much for affording me the time to address the committee today. Members will be aware that the appeal decision didn't uphold the reasons for previously rejecting a substantially similar proposal to the one before you. The inspector recognised that development wouldn't cause harm to highway safety or indeed the countryside or indeed policy S7 as quoted. Furthermore, it would offer tangible benefits in terms of addressing housing need 
and to Henham and Oakley Primary School. Members will be aware that a substantial part of the school playing fields and the current staff car park are on land the subject of a temporary lease from the joint applicants. The lease is due to expire. The expiry would give rise to a substantial reduction in the school playing fields, making them inadequate to serve the needs of the school. In terms of the information that you've heard today in terms of the presentations, clearly reference was made to the Platinum School games mark that the school has obtained. Therefore, it is pertinent to consider the implications of a substantial reduction in the school playing fields. The proposal before members would rectify this, securing a substantial increase in the size of the current playing fields ahead of any residential development. This is in line with Sport England's recommendation. Again, going back to one of the points made um, in relation to Mr Park's comments, the playing fields would be provided in advance of any residential development, as was outlined in the detail phasing plan that was shown at the start of the presentation. Indeed, the extension to the playing fields would give rise to a 68% increase in the amount of available play space to the school. The termination of the lease would also result in the loss of the school's principal staff car park. This would leave the school with grossly deficient levels of staff parking and no obvious way of rectifying this within the school site. This situation is likely to lead to parking being displaced elsewhere, further exacerbating the existing dangerous conflicts that occur in School Lane, Pimblets Row and Sages at the start and the end of the school day. Members will be aware that there was a public inquiry held in relation to this appeal um, which ran over five days. During that inquiry, detailed evidence was given about the types of vehicle movements that are undertaken in School Lane, Pimblets Row and Sages. Whilst the vast majority of parents don't enter into School Lane, there's clearly a significant proportion that do, giving rise to movements in Pimblets Row, School Lane and Sages uh, which are deemed to be dangerous to the safe journeys to and from the school. The proposals before members would help rectify this situation, requiring a new dedicated staff car park ahead of the residential development. The requirement not to undertake the residential development prior to the provision of the staff car park and the extension to the playing fields is enforceable by condition and planning obligation. Proposals would also provide a dedicated dropping off area for the school. The inspector found that this would be a benefit and provide an alternative to the existing on-street parking that takes place in School Lane, Pimblet Row and Sages. The inspector also found that the proposal as a whole would not harm highway safety. This is a view shared by the Highway Authority. We understand that parking, um, and particularly anything in relation to a school, is going to be quite emotive. The applicants in relation to Persimmon have submitted a detailed safety audit, a transport assessment, which is being thoroughly considered by the Highway Authority. The Highway Authority's views are set out within the committee report. Again, they're not raising any objection to the proposal. There is no grounds for refusal on the basis of highway safety or the endangerment of the of the users of the school. We understand the sensitivities of the site. The application has received support from a range of consultees and is recommended for approval. 
we respectfully request that members resolve to approve these developments that will deliver much needed homes. It will also secure a positive resolution to the issues the schools would face when a substantial part of the current site is no longer available to them. In relation to the points raised by Mr Gardner, the quotes from the inspector were selective. The applicant set forward detailed heads of terms which clearly sets out a detailed phasing proposal for the site, including the fact that the residential development cannot take place ahead of a series of measures, including the delivery of the extension to the school playing field, the staff car park and the dropping off area. This matter is enforceable by Uttlesford District Council, so either condition or obligation, and heads of terms have been offered in this regard. In relation to the development plan policies, Clearly the issue of housing land supply is pertinent and development plan S7 was clearly considered in relation to the appeal proposal. It was found that, again, on balance, uh, that the benefits arising from the proposal would outweigh the in-principle objection in relation to countryside policies. Members are respectfully requested to endorse the officer recommendation and approve the application. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mosley. Um, Mr. Brown is going to clarify where we are with the Section 106. I'm going to clarify a few other things as well. First of all, regarding um, just to remind members that the Council hasn't got a five year land supply. Um, it has a local plan, the 2005 local plan, which is on the whole up to date, but it is out of date in terms of land allocation. We have not got enough land allocated within our current 2005 local plan. We have an emerging local plan which has um, allocations within it. That local plan has very little, if any, weight. It has very little weight. Simply this site, the fact that this site is not allocated within that local plan has no weight at all. We have not got a local plan. It hasn't got to a substantial level of maturity in order to take that type of decision. In terms of the Section 106 negotiations, can I just clarify the difference between sitting at a public inquiry and sitting within a planning committee? When you are sitting in a planning inquiry, the inspector has not got the ability to go away and try to negotiate a 106. He has to, he has to consider, or she in this case, has to consider the situation in terms of what's in front of them. There was a unilateral undertaking, which is something carried out that is provided by the applicant in this particular case. That UU, although was promising to provide all these necessary issues, because the County Council and the District Council were not party to that 106, it didn't provide, it didn't add in the necessary delivery of those. That is why, and the only reason why, the inspector dismissed the appeal. You are now in a situation, like you are often in a situation where you're dealing with a planning application where there's a resolution for a 106 to also be included. And I need to remind you, the resolution is to refuse this application unless a 106 is forthcoming. If, the, if, you, send the, if you make this decision to approve this today, the application will be refused if a 106 is... This is reiterating what Karen said at the very beginning. Um, if the applicant decides he's not going to bother or if we don't have that necessary agreement with the, with the applicant, it will be refused. And I have done that, and that does happen. The County Council are signatories to that 106, 
and I refute some of the allegations that the negotiations are not ongoing because they are ongoing. We are talking to the, we are talking to the County Council. The legal team are already instructed on that particular issue and both the persimmons, our solicitors and the county solicitors are involved in those discussions. There is different arms of the County Council involved in this in terms of highway and education. Um, there is issues in terms of landscape strips. There's all sorts of things that are covering. In terms of those issues regarding drop-off points, that may be part of the thing that's covered as part of the 106. You have a long list of what is going to be required from that 106s, and those matters will be ongoing. And that is what you normally do. If you, if you, if you resolve that an application is acceptable, a 106 will be provided, and those matters are resolved. It is not expecting for a 106 to be in front of you, signed and sealed at this stage. That does not happen. And as I, I don't know if Elizabeth wants to clarify on that particular issue on that. Thank you very much, for Mr. Mr. Brown. I can confirm that the first draft of the Section 106 agreement has been completed. It has been submitted to Essex County Council for their comments and suggested in clauses for inclusion. And once both Uttlesford and Essex are agreed on the contents of that draft document, it will be submitted to Persimmon. It's only then it will be submitted, but I can assure you it is very much a work in progress and it is progressing quite nicely. Thank you. And before I can just final point on the, the highways issues because there was quite a lot of emotion in regarding the highway safety issues and that seems to be the prime consideration today. Um, I'm not going to do, and, and Mr Mosley is quite correct, that, that um, the speakers have, have been very selective in picking points out the, of, the, of the appeal statement I will not do that, but only to add that within the appeal statement there was five pages primarily all about um, highway safety issues, covering issues including the extension of school lane, staff parking, coach parking, proposed parent drop-off, um, pedestrians, uh, construction traffic, highway safety, all those issues, but it is concluded I am satisfied that the design of the development would not compromise highway safety, that you cannot sustain a highway safety refusal reasons on this application. It is quite clear. And uh, much as the emotion, it has been looked at by our County Council Highway Authority and has also been looked at by an independent planning inspector looking at the site following receiving evidence through a Rule 6 statement, which was the Hannon Parish Council representative. Um, that went through a five-day inquiry, very much a bit highways. <coughs> okay. Committee, it's over to you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's for the committee to speak now, so please restrain yourselves if possible. Committee comments. Councillor Fairhurst and then Councillor Freeman. Just a quick question before we go any further. Um, in our previous refusal, there was talk of a failure to meet with a 40% affordable. And I understand this has now been got rid of. I don't understand. We now have a full 40% unaffordable component in the 36 houses. Yes, there's 40% affordable, yeah. Um, may I just continue, if you don't mind? Um, I don't think we want to. I thank you for the clarification on Section 106. It does matter, but it, isn't, it should not be the guiding determinant of whether we approve or, or reject a, 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 um, an application such as this. Um, I think we should look on planning con con considerations only. Um, and thank you also for the ECC clarification, their position as well. Um, but I would like to go to the, another question. In our speaking, one person suggested that, in fact, the, the, the 
approval of this process would result in 60-80% increase in playing fields, while another speaker said that the playing fields would be dramatically reduced. Might I ask you please to clarify the current situation as opposed to the future situation in terms of playing fields area? Karen. Right. This is going to be rough because um, this doesn't show where the hedges are and things. Um, my understanding of the issue is that this land from here downwards is leased um, and it's roughly in a straight line down here. Now this area here is a pitch and that, well, my understanding is Essex County Council land. This land here, um, certainly when I've been to the school, um, is laid out as sort of like a track, um, you know, sort of like running lanes. Um, and there's car parking here. So this area of land here would go, and this area here would become a new playing field, as um, shown here. So this area of playing field would remain. There would be some loss of it with the new staff car park here, but they would get a, a new area here which would be suitable for a junior pitch which is um, an improvement over what they've got at the moment. Um, and Sport England support the application on the basis of this provision. <coughs> Thank you, Mrs Denmark. And I know the committee are aware just how difficult Sport England can be. So, um, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Uh, I was present at the first site visit for this, and... Uh, I do remember that one of the members of this committee, Councillor Chambers, pointed out that safety, and particularly the safety of children, were of particular and paramount importance, and I think that's still the case. Uh, and if Councillor Chambers still holds that view, I certainly fully agree with him. Uh, so it cannot be a good principle to mix traffic and children. For some reason, we insist on doing it in the United Kingdom. Uh, Okay, maybe there's not a huge amount of traffic at the moment. There will be more when you build out these houses uh, and the traffic movements in dropping children off at school. Of course, the other thing we do in England is we take our children to school in cars for very good reasons. Uh, but in many countries, uh, that doesn't happen. They find their own way there. But that's not the case here. The challenge is that we have to work, obviously, strictly within planning law. And the thing that persuades us to do that is that otherwise the developer will simply go to an appeal, will get the thing granted on appeal, quite possibly hit us with costs, uh, and uh, it will be built out without any Section 106 benefits, so in other words, not the extended playing field, uh, and we'll be back to worse than the position in which we started, and that's obviously not something that we want. But various points here. With this particular developer, I have personal experience in my own ward in Saffron Walden, where we have the best part of 200 houses uh, uh, and Section 106 agreements underpinning them. And there's a further 31 they're cutting turf on now. Uh, and all I can say is that getting enforcement of the Section 106, and I, I'm being very careful how I say this, has been challenging. It's been challenging to the extent that it's locked up an amazing amount of officer time for the town council. It's locked up an awful lot of my time as the ward councillor and it's locked up a certain amount of officer time here and even the time of the Chief Executive of Arsud District Council. That's the level we've had to go to to actually get 
the Section 106 is underway and moving. Uh, and there's nothing to suggest that this would be any different, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, based on experience, we're elected, Chairman, the members here are elected to actually act in the interest, I suppose, of the electors in a collective sense. Correct me on this if I'm wrong. I might have got the wrong end of that. But enforcement is, in my view, a very bad route to go down. It's a bad route to go down because, basically, a district council simply isn't equipped to do enforcement. It's not what we do. I mean, we have a legal department, and they're competent but, uh, and, and enthusiastic, but developers have substantial legal departments on their payroll, uh, and actually, they use them. So when it comes to a contest with a developer, especially the largest in the country, there isn't any contest. It's worse than David and Goliath, because at least David had a sling with, uh, with, a, with a stone in it. We are essentially unarmed in this. The other thing that concerns me is that that section 106 seems to be underpinned by a lack of homework on the part of the developer. Uh, we've referred to um, a, a lot of e uh, Essex County Council consent, which is still needed. If you say that's going to come through, I'm sure that you're right. I don't question the officer's opinion on this, but we don't control Essex County Council. Well, that's a separate entity in its own right. Uh, and we refer to some of that land as being leased. I'm sure that's true. But when it comes to leased land, Chairman, there is a, an instrument which this council can use. I've never known it use it, but it, there is an instrument that this council can use. It's called a compulsory purchase order in the public good. So if it was a problem with that piece of land and it looked like it was going to vanish, we could raise the CPO. It's not a planning issue, but it's um, something which should be considered. So I find the conflict between these new dwellings and the existence of that school very difficult to reconcile. And I concede that the school would end up with better facilities out of it, but it would also end up with a less good school in some ways. So my mind is still open on this, but I am nervous about having Section 106s underpinned, or consent, giving consent underpinned by Section 106. I'm sure you'll arrive at a Section 106, but I'm not convinced that it will be delivered upon. Thank you. Uh, I'll clarify one thing. No 106, no permission. Mr Brown. Um, first of all, the compulsory purchase order issue, that's not a place for this room, to be frank. It, I've spent, I like Rick, Councillor Freeman, but I've spent far too many Friday mornings with him, standing on site in the pouring rain in Tudor Park, with persimmon staff trying to sort the issues. And I think I'm going to be spending similar time with Councillor Lees on the site in Elsdon with the same developer. But the problem with that particular issue is that we're coming in halfway through from the enforcement regime. Um, you have to believe me on this particular issue. The solution is not enforcement. The, enforcement. the solution is not to try to go around, oh no, they should have done this, they should have done this, that's make them do that. The solution is much more simpler. The trigger, and we do take into account the developer's delivery record and past record on that when we're looking at triggers in terms of, i.e., when can they do certain things, and that will be taken into account. But the ultimate sanction is, you, by the time you got to a certain amount of houses, you need to have done that. The breach is not that. The breach is the houses. And what the, the ultimate sanction that we have, that we should use, that doesn't take very much, it takes some time from our, from our solicitors, but it is simple time. It is, we serve an injunction on you, you cannot build any more houses until you have done this. 
That's the easiest way around. So you can actually say, so if you cannot build more than, say, I'm just thinking a random number, you can't build more than 10 houses until you've done this, and you start building, and it looks like you'll, you'll get up to number 10, and you haven't done it, and you start looking like you're building number 11, we serve an injunction. It gets done pretty damn quickly then, because at that particular point, you're talking cash flow, you're talking developers moving on. It's still enforcement, but it's injunction action. It's much stronger, and it saves a lot of that time and a lot of that trying to retrieve things by standing on site. And that is where we need to be going, and that's where we will be going in Section 106 enforcement issues. It isn't where we have been, because it's not traditionally what this authority has done. And the experiences that me and Councillor Freeman are having and the experiences that me and Mr. Councillor Lees are having are on the basis of us coming in halfway through, and that's part of the problem there. Councillor Wales. Yes, if this application were passed, what measures will be taken to ensure the safety of pedestrians, children, etc., while the building works are going ahead? Is there anything we can do to condition that? I mean, we've got heavy traffic coming in and out. How, how will we deal with that? Mr. Brown. The obvious one would be a construction management plan. Um, and people know my views on construction management plans, but part of the construction management plan would also say you need to have some public engagement before you start work. And that makes, this is going to be, if members approve this development, it's going to be a challenging site for the developer, and it's going to be a challenging site for the school, and it's going to be a challenging site for the residents. So what would happen as part of that public engagement for the construction management plan is for an early meeting with the school headmistress head head of the school, and, and the school head, all the necessary people, the parish council, everyone talking together to work out how we're going to do that. And, and those particular issues is there's no deliveries during school time. You know, this development is going to take a lot longer to build up than the normal ones because it's going to be restricted by school traffic. That has happened. We, I've had developments being approved adjacent to much more challenge than this one, and it's been done by early initiation and discussion. That can be done by, it doesn't have to be done by a condition, but it can be done by a condition, construction management plan and early engagement. That can secure it. So not only do we just normally get the normal standard fare of a construction management plan, which basically says, we're clean. We'll have the mother of all wood cleaners. We do this and we do that. It actually starts off by saying the beginning of the construction management plan is early engagement. And so the community actually agrees that management plan in terms of moving forward. Then we've got some sort of bite in terms of how it works. I'll take Councillor Chambers, then Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, Mr Chairman, yes, Councillor Freeman is quite right. I was at the site meeting last year. I'm not going to mention the section 106 because I think that is something which uh, should be negotiated with the, the applicants and I'm quite happy with that. I am, however, still very concerned about the access. If I remember rightly when we went on the site visit, and correct me if I'm wrong, Councillor Freeman, but we got to about where the red line was and there was two fence gates there two wire gates that led through to the playing fields and what have you. That, I presume, is where the access is. Now, if I had a child going to that school, I would be very concerned. I don't want any play acting, I'm not going to do that, but I would be very concerned. And I, 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 I cannot understand how an inspector says that it is safe. 
I certainly wouldn't want that inspector to have any children because if he'd got any children he, didn't un he wouldn't understand his own children and even perhaps how his own wife or partner were concerned. I just cannot see why something could, couldn't be done with that access to make it safer for everybody concerned. And I do have a real concern about that. I, I understand what Mr Brown has said and I can't argue with that purely and simply because if that's what the inspector said and that's what you think is going to happen uh, and it's not a reason to refuse it then I have no other concerns but surely there should be a concern about public safety Councillor Fairhurst and then Councillor Lodge Thank you Mr Chairman um, I'm going to reiterate exactly what Councillor Chambers said because I'm very pleased it was, I was reminded of that visit I think the, the, the mixing of children and traffic was what brought it to mind. I'm not going to dwell on the building site aspect because whenever there's development, there's building sites. And yes, we can do the best we can, but building is building. I'm not even going to talk about the developer's history and meeting with, with 106 complaints. But what we are considered here with is the question of safety um, and the question of, of provision of, of, of junior schools. And on that basis, I'm afraid I simply cannot support this application. I'm proposing we reject this once again. It is unsafe. Councillor Lodge and then Councillor Hicks. Thank you, Chair. I think it is, it is a very difficult application. However, I feel that the site is fundamentally flawed. And the number one issue here has got to be the safety of the children. Now then... Um, I have worked with uh, Essex County Council Highways for a number of years, very closely in a lot of things, and if I was going for an advice and an opinion on the safety of this site, I would not go to Essex County Council. I think that um, we also have to have in mind the danger of the appeal. Um, the appeal uh, could well come. However, um, as one of the speakers mentioned earlier, there may well be a different inspector. I think that the defence of this may well look to other sources for safety advice. That is not beyond the bounds of possibility, and that could bring to bear um, an important uh, aspect for the inspector, along with the other issues which you had, S7 and, and so on. I think those should be uh, reiterated. And so I would, um, I, I will certainly be opposing this. I would, I would, uh, if it's a time to second it, I would second Councillor. Uh, you with that in a minute. Okay, well, I'll leave, leave that, that second. But just to, to finish off, if, if, if I may then, um, what, what, one, of, one, of, one of my big hobby horses, which the people who may read the press or hear my other comments, is about getting the communities to work together with, with developers to try and get developments which the community can involve. And this is going to be very important when we, get, when we come on to new towns over the next few years, but even it should apply to the local areas. And for, for, for this developer, it seems as though it's he's, he's, he's pretty impossible to, to work with. I, mean, I won't, won't dwell on saying that if you, if you took a, the million pound profit on this, then the, uh, the distribution of dividends to their staff would hardly be impacted. But one thing which I don't know whether other people notice, but effectively the developer was blackmailing the community here by saying, if you don't go through this, we'll take away some of your facilities. This is an atrocious attitude to take and reinforces even more that I would like to see this development turned down. Thank you. <coughs>
ladies and gentlemen, please restrain yourselves. I'd really appreciate it. Okay? Councillor Hicks, uh, thank you, I will come back to you. Um, <coughs> the comments that uh, Councillor Chambers and uh, Councillor Lodge have just made with regard to Essex County Council and their uh, skill or otherwise Essex Highways in um, judging safety on um, developments which take place within Uttlesford. I, I draw their attention to the fact that Essex County Council is the old, Essex Highways as a, as a section of Essex County Council is the authority on, uh, that advises this committee on such matters every time we consider a planning application. And if we're going to second-guess them every time we get a proposal before us, then the whole process falls into uh, an absolute chaos. So my view is that um, if we, we have to be guided by the experts if they say that the the condition of the roads in the locality, the traffic that's likely to be generated by this development, and all these other factors have been considered, and having taken all that into account, they think the, 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 um, that the uh, uh, application is not unreasonable, then I feel that we have to go with them and accept that um, determination and uh, the uh, point has also been made that should um, this application or any other for that matter not be um, approved at some stage in the future uh, this uh, landowner might well be terminating the lease of the uh, playing fields which the school currently has I think has to be something we should consider and uh, uh, in, in my view I can see no valid reason for rejecting this application. If, if, uh, I'm not sure whether you've taken something Chairman but I would be willing to propose its acceptance if, um, if you're still open to that. I'll come back to you with that. Councillor Lemon and then Councillor Lachlan. Councillor Hicks commented about the highways report, but I'm sorry, but I, I put children's safety even above highways reports. Um, I've had a lot of work with children over the years. I have young children of my own, and, if, and I, I really do believe that this is going to be a safety problem for young people. These are five-year-old children, and I'm sorry, but I should be voting against uh, I'm just going to take Mr Brown before I go to Councillor Lachlan. I'm really concerned about this in that, that we need to do need to take the emotion out of this. We seriously do. The County well, Council are the... the county isn't an emotion. County, is a fact. It's really dismissive of the County Council's consideration of this application. They are the Highway Authority. They do consider these applications. Don't forget the Education Authority are part of this process as well and they have raised no objections. <laughs> I should also add that regarding it is not just the Highway Authority that have found this application sound in highway terms. 
the inspector heard at a public inquiry where a Rule 6 party, which was Henham Parish Council, put forward their own highway evidence, extensive highway evidence, and the planning inspector made that decision. So it is not just Essex County Council that have no objections to this proposal. The inspector looked at this in the cold light of day and considered the application. It would not be a very safe decision if members were going to refuse this on highway grounds. It would be allowed on appeal, and we would be down. I'm not going to use the word costs. I wasn't going to use the word cost, but I am going to use the word cost. It would be a substantial cost application if this Point was Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Brown says it will be uh, granted on appeal. He cannot say that. It's highly likely the application would be allowed on appeal. The, a recent planning inspector's decision has looked at this appeal for a public inquiry and he has considered, she has considered the application in light of highway evidence put forward to her and she has concluded and she has dismissed, she has dismissed all the arguments on highway grounds point by point for all those issues, including school pedestrian access, school safety, general school safety. There is no grounds to refuse us on highway grounds. You are correct, the inspector will need to look at it in the light of day, but that same inspector will look at it on the grounds of all the evidence put in front of them. And, um, and I think it would have been extremely unsound. The only difference between now and May and 2016 was that five-year land supply is even worse than it was then. And that is, that's the only thing that is, that is, that is different. Okay. Um, I take your point, Councillor Lodge. We'll use the words highly likely, okay? Uh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I've listened to all the arguments here, and it has been very emotional. Uh, I think most of us on this committee are parents, and I'm going to be emotional myself because I lost my son four years ago, and I would not want to put anybody through that pain, believe me. But I do think that if it went to a planning inspector and it was... Um, the appeal was allowed I, or dismissed, I'm afraid that the conditions would be worse because I don't believe that another planning inspector, whoever it was, contrary to what uh, Councillor Lodge says, would not take into account the opinion of a previous planning inspector because they would, because they would be looking at everything. And I just would not want the highways to be made worse for the kids in Henham. I would want, obviously, the safety of those children to be paramount. And I am finding this very difficult because we only have Essex highways to go by. We don't have any other authority. And if we go against them, there is nobody else we can go to. So, we, you know, all of our consultants on this application are experts in their field. If we then doubt them or say, I don't trust as councillor and I wouldn't listen to them, that's all very well. Well, but I mean they are the, the body that we go to and that's all I can really say if we lose this appeal it could be the worst and that worries me Okay, Councillor Fairhurst Thank you, let me come back to you I take what, what Councillor Lachlan says very seriously I don't think we all I think we do listen to what the highways say we do, do judge what they say it's important consideration when we look at it but we, make, we visit sites for another reason we visit sites to go beyond what's in the paper and for our own mind look at it and assess it for ourselves. I do trust highways generally, but as Councillor Chambers pointed out, we were there on the spot 
And I remember clearly what we saw there, and all of us were agreed this was an unsafe situation. We have to be guided by our own thoughts. So I trust them, but I trust my own thoughts more. And when you're talking about something as, as, as precarious as child safety, I'm afraid I trust my instincts better than I trust something on a piece of paper. I really do. Councillor Freeman, and I'm going to try and wrap this up. Indeed. Thank you, thank you Chairman. I'll, I will be brief. Uh, concerning highways, and I have a lot of respect for Essex highways, um, in my own ward, uh, an application for 85 dwellings on a field. First of all, uh, Essex Highways found against it. They, 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 they said this was not safe. Uh, and so that was turned down. That's fine. Uh, but then Essex Highways, uh, then the developer went and got a top level, really top level, highways engineering company to give an opinion. And that top level engineering company are up at the level of uh, people that build motorways and whatever. And their opinion was, it's fine, it's not a problem. We've done another calculation, we've used our own proprietary software, it's fine. And at that point, Essex Highways, Essex County Council, changed its opinion and said there's no problems with this, we accept the expert opinion. And then there was a reapplication and those 85 houses are now going to be built out. So I think expert opinion is very important and actually Essex Highways is not the only place where it stops. It's not the only place that we have to refer to. There is expert opinion out there. It's widely used by developers for forcing through, not forcing through, for getting the sort of result that they want to get. <clears throat> stop me if I'm incorrect, but I think with that application we also refused it the second time and they won it at appeal, yes? Yeah, okay. I'd just like to make the point. And also, also, just to confirm, the difference between all the highway officers involved in this is the Essex County Council are independent. They, it is no skin off their back. If they, if they feel that an application is unacceptable, they will tell us it's unacceptable. If an application is considered acceptable, they will tell us it's acceptable. Whether you're a developer, you are quite correct, a developer will put in a highway study to put forward their case. Just like I'm sure Henham Parish Council's Rule 6 statement to use a highway officer who was professional, I'm sure, but may have put it in a slant to say it was unacceptable. Essex County Council is unique in that situation. No, no, I'm just saying that that is how it says. It works exactly the same way. A developer will put forward a highway engineer to sell a scheme to make it acceptable, and a third party will put forward a highway engineer to make it unacceptable. Essex County Council are absolutely 100% independent. They look at the application and they consider it on their own professional judgment. That is the difference between Essex County Council's highway authority and all other highway engineers. They're all professionals. None of one's mind coming up with wrong information, but Essex County Council is absolutely 100% independent. <clears throat> okay, have we all had our say? Okay, over to me then. Um, I think this is a very difficult one. I can see both sides of this. Um, I think the 106 will get itself resolved. I take note of Essex Highway's comments. Um, I also take note 
like all of you, I have children as well, and the safety issues. Will the development be better when it's all built out? I tend to agree with Councillor Freeman. In some respects, maybe the facilities at the school may be better, um, but you have a housing estate which is also slightly taking away from the position. Um, we have a recommendation for approval, which I think Councillor Hicks proposed. Now, I know, but I haven't got a... I didn't take the second. I'm going to let it go the first way, OK? I have... Point of order, please. Go on. You didn't take a seconder. I didn't. Council. I know. That's what I just said. I didn't take the seconder because. So, Councillor Fairhurst got in first, so I'm afraid you'll have to accept Councillor Fairhurst. Otherwise, I think you will be making a grave mistake. <coughs> but I have no seconder for that proposal. All right. I'll, I'll invite it first. Uh, I have a proposal for, for a refusal. Does that find a seconder? It does. Councillor Lodge. We need to ascertain why it's been refused. Agreed. Uh, we need to know the reasons for the refusal, Councillor Fairhurst. On grounds of, of road safety and Gen 1, that they talked about in our previous... I'm going back to our previous re rejection. Um, I don't think we can talk um, in terms of number three. I'm happy with number two, although outside development still, still applies. And uh, early years in childhood development, we mentioned about primary school places, so numbers four. If you go to page 15, I'm going to our original place, so I'm saying one, two, and four still apply. But I'd ask for guidance, of course, from our, our officers on that. Sorry, say that again. One, two, and four. Page 15, one, two, and four. Number three we talked about, about uh, provision of, of, of affordable housing. I understand that's being sorted out. No, you would need a refusal reason for that because that would be covered by the section one and six. If you're refusing it and you don't have that refusal reason on, you will lose the 40% affordable housing. This is... Yeah, yeah, now this is... This policy. is uh, let's clarify this. Yeah, first of all... Um, yeah, we'll go on to the 106. If, if you refuse this on today, then you are not getting the Section 106 package, so you're straight back to where we were before, where the unilateral undertaking will be done properly and probably will be, about, be a lot less than what's been offered as this application. But you do need to have a, a 106 refusal reason because that's not been secured. You know my views on Gen 1. That's extremely dangerous refusal reason bearing in mind it's been... And secondly, you have not discussed issues about outside the development limits with regard in this debate. But you, you just can't throw it in there like that. Sorry, we, we must be consistent as well. What we said previously doesn't change. Nothing has changed in the circumstances. But the, the, there is a significant change in circumstances, and that is the appeal decision. The appeal decision is a very material consideration. We're not, that's not part of the discussion at this table. We can talk about appeals and we can be threatened with appeals, but that in fact is out of the bounds of our remit. We cannot discuss the appeals. We can't be told if you do this you'll be appealed against. That's not part of what we discuss here. No, so that's not what I'm saying. You must, no, it's not. you must consider as a material consideration a recent appeal decision for this same similar proposal. This is slightly different in terms of the layout, but the fact is for this similar proposal. And you, you just need to be mindful that the inspector in considering that application did consider the site was outside the development limits did didn't even consider there was any landscape impact from the proposal or there was a landscape impact that didn't outweigh 
that was outweighed by the lack of five-year land supply a year ago, which is now worse. So you need to be very careful on that condition too as well. That is, that is more difficult decision, a difficult appeal decision to actually defend. That is additional considerations that is flawed, bearing in mind the previous inspector's decision. I concede all that. At this tribunal, we have to be acquit ourselves. We have to agree with ourselves. It's us people here that make a decision based on information about ourselves. Whether that then goes to, on appeal and the inspector takes a different view should not be material to the process. I am mindful of the fact that a previous inspector has looked at these issues. I take... Um, I, 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 I question the fact that it's not safe, and I suggest that any person in his right minds who actually goes and sees it will have the same view that we all had at the time. And so on that basis, I must use it as, as, a, as my framework. I can't see this as now taken out of, out of, out of my decision process. Um, if you think that discussing it in terms of development is, is, is an issue because it's been addressed and inspectors ruled it out, then I'll concede that. But I don't think it is a question, it's a question of safety that we've been guided by here. We're just looking at conditions of refusal reason one and the lack of... Look, I'm talking about refusal reason two here. I'm really concerned about this because I feel it just would be extremely foolhardy to make a decision and not be concerned about what a planning inspector is going to do. That is what we should be doing as a planning committee, considering the implications on appeal. And, and so and I, and I think the language to disregard that is extremely dangerous and we, we really can't go down that route. And so, but what you are proposing, having said that, is a highway refusal one, but are you proposing this outside development limits as a refusal reason? Well, I think that is compounding the problem. That is doubling, the, making a doubling badly decision. I, in the past, you know, I've deferred to your skill yeah. and wisdom on this matter. I'll happily take your advice on this process. I do I'm feel that it's important that number one is valid and number four is valid. Of course, you, you can, I'll, I'll bend to your judgment on two and three. Yeah. One and four. One and four, yeah. You're happy with one and four? Yes. Okay. No? Okay. Um, I have a proposal. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. That includes four is... I'm just trying to work out... No, no. The, the, it's not the four. It is the additional refusal reason for the non-provision non of the 106 package. That's what we're talking about. So not four, because we have got no objections from the Education Authority. It is the non-provision of the 106 mechanism. So that's more or less what that's saying. Because that also covers issues such as Section 108. So it covers affordable housing. It covers all those issues. So there is a standard condition. I wouldn't pick and choose on that one. I would do a standard condition uh, refusal reason, which will be refusal reason two, which covers the non-provision of community facilities through the 106. And that covers everything. It covers all the education provisions. It covers the playing field issues. It covers the, um, the affordable housing issues as well. Does that include then on page 17, um, point 8.1, where the ECC education specifically says insufficient places to meet early years in childcare, and the points throughout the process, um, the question of drop-off zones and things like that, is that all included in company? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry. What that's is an important consideration. Yeah, what it's actually doing is, it's, if you go all the way back to the last page 30, whereby you've got the list of all those recommendations on the 106. Mm -hmm. None of that will be provided. You know, the affordable housing, the open space, maintenance of the suds, transfer of the playing fields, 
the, the translocation of the reptiles, education contributions, bus stop improvements, all those issues will not be provided and there's no mechanism to do that. So yes. by refusing this application, you must put that on as a refusal reason. Fair enough. Because otherwise... That, that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, last time I think we were picking and choosing, but this time it just covers Raise the whole it. lot. Raise it. Right, try again. Mr. Chair, Mr. Chairman, speaking as a seconder, what I would still like to stick with S7. I think that we, we, we are constantly encouraged to uh, consider applications in their own right as complete applications, and, and to my mind that still applies. A, a different inspector may take a different view. Yeah. So that does worry me. You can't say an inspector may take a different view. That's, you have a responsibility to ensure you make that decision, not just rely upon an inspector, hoping that they're going to make a different view to what a previous recent inspector has made. That's disregarding... I'm giving that as a reason. I'm just giving comfort to the rest yeah. of the committee. A different inspector may take a different view. It's still a very valid decision for this committee to take. So, I mean, it's down to Pat to Paul again. Paul. <coughs> I know it is. Yeah. Paul? Do you want to add S7? Yes, I do, please. Okay. We have a proposal for a refusal and we have a seconder. I think we're on very dangerous ground here. But there we go. Um, I'm going to go to the vote for refusal. All those in favour of a refusal, please show. One, two, three, four, five, six. All those against, please show. I have three against and abstaining. I have one abstention. That item is therefore refused. Thank you very much, everybody. He hasn't got to. What no, can we do? Got, I will tell him to. It's gonna... I'm just going to tell him to go for the No, cost. don't tell him to go no, for the no, cost. This is the and then you negotiate it down. No, I want to... Because we've never been stuffed for costs. That is the worst decision they've ever made. I agree. Um, it is appalling. And, and, what, and what the problem is, we've never, ever had costs awarded against right. us. Right. Well, in that because case, yeah, I know. But I don't want the council to lose 50 grand or 100 grand. We'll just take a five-minute break.
Yes, we have appeals.
I've just chased them, okay? I pointed out it wasn't a coffee break. Yeah. Okay. Nice of you to join us. Uh, <coughs> meeting is resumed. Mr. Theobald, if you'd like to take it to UTT 170649, outline permission, Stevens Lane. Thank you, Chair. This outline application has come back to committee. Um, following uh, a challenge on the previous uh, uh, committee report and resolution by members on this application for eight dwellings with all matters reserved on the basis that the previous report to committee had not properly addressed the heritage um, protection issues with regard to the proposal. Uh, in particular respect to two listed buildings, two Grade 2 listed buildings, namely Stevens Farm Barn and Yew Tree Cottage. Uh, now, the application is for the principle of development uh, with all the issues which were um, addressed in the previous report as well as the listed building issue as well. Um, we have received a, a sub-rep from uh, a J. Haslan, uh, which is referenced to um, rights of way, and uh, I'm not uh, of the opinion that's actually a material consideration, but I have read the uh, sub-rep and uh, concluded as follows on that, uh, that it's, it's not a material consideration. There's also been some uh, communications that I've seen from other third parties uh, with regard to uh, due process and uh, other items raised as third party comments. I've looked at all of these and I consider that none of those raise new issues for this proposal where in any event I have updated the uh, officer report to include them as summary points in the neighbour representations. Now, um, members will be aware of the site again this morning and uh, I don't particularly want to say anything other uh, than the report with the listed building assessment which is um, uh, comprehensive I believe it is still the case that the officer recommendation is for approval uh, subject to conditions um, whereby reserve matters would come forward 
on a, a further application, were members mindful to approve this application? Thank you. Thank you, Mr Theobald. Okay, we have uh, a few speakers, and I'll start with Mr Clark. Sorry, Mrs Clark. That's fine. If you'd like to put the microphone on, then we can hear you. Thank you. You have three minutes. Thank you for allowing me to speak today. I wish to object to planning application UTT 170649OP. I wish to add that I am not anti-development. However, I do believe that any development allowed should be determined in accordance with the law and appropriate for its location. This matter has returned to committee following the original grant of planning permission being quashed. The previous decision was unlawful in that it did not properly apply Section 66 Listed Buildings Act and so no analysis of the test under paragraph 134 of the National Planning Policy Framework took place. For reasons I shall explain, I believe that the eight dwellings proposed is not appropriate. Firstly, there has been no consultation or adequate notification of the redetermination of this matter or how the assessment has taken place and by what criteria. The planning officer has addressed the heritage issues by utilising the services of the council conservation officer. As the conservation officer has been asked to judge on heritage and set in issues with this proposal, her views need to be acknowledged in their entirety. I therefore question why the planning officer has omitted part of Mrs Bosworth's report, which actually only amounted to two pages. Turning to the most recent uh, uh, Commissioner's report, which says that some form of development would be acceptable. The reason given is that the new dwellings would be some 45 to 30 metres away from the adjacent listed buildings. Why has this point been omitted from the planning officer's report? This is a fundamental point that needs including in his report. I have marked up on a chorus's drawings here. <coughs> Thirty to forty five metres respectively, as per Ms. Boswell's report from buildings within the curtilage and not the extent of the boundary, to show exactly what Ms. Boswell is suggesting. If the conservation officer's report is taken as being correct, then there will be little or no space for any development whatsoever. The calculation is wrong on the indicative layout, which shows a proposed building in the order of ten metres away from U Tree Cottage. The new buildings would be considerably closer to the curtilage of the listed buildings, in some cases less than five metres. The separation distance has therefore been erroneously stated, and I suggest that being closer in fact than is stated, the impact on setting of heritage assets is greater than assessed or reported. This is, I suggest, a reason to refuse plan permission or at least postpone determination until the facts are correctly reported. Further, to the outlook to the rear of both Utree Cottage and Stevens Farm Barns is over the current Greenfield site. There is no mention of this. The impact of setting will, therefore, I say, be more than significant. I believe that the impact on setting in squeezing in eight dwellings on the site is unacceptably high, and therefore the application should be refused. The NPPF Para 128 states that local planning authorities should require an applicant to describe the significance of any heritage assets affected, including their settings. I believe that UDC are the only body to have undertaken this. Why has the applicant not been required to carry out this assessment? Thank you, Mrs Clark. Thank you. Mr Clark. 
You have three minutes. Thank you. The PO report states the ecology assessment is underway. This is completely untrue and also the bus service runs on Bannister Green when it fact runs on Watchhouse Green. Throughout this planning application there have been multiple misrepresentations from various parties, from no water being within 50 metres to no buildings within 200 metres, all misleading and yet not acted upon. The PO in his report will say that S7 will be overridden as it's a loan policy. However, it's been shown that S7 countryside is related to ENV2 listed buildings and GEN7 and as such development is not in the best public interest. As to ecological matters, newts should start to resurface soon and an updated report is anticipated. I suggest the details of them reports should be seen before any decision for outline permission is granted. Of course, once outline permission is granted, development will likely follow and protected and species habitat lost. There is also the issue of consistency. Case law confirms that consistency in decision making is important to ensure fairness and also public confidence in the planning system. The council must act consistently or provide a cogent reason to depart from this. An application which has a number of similarities to current has been refused. Here I refer to Sparling's Farm 172251OP in which outline permission was refused for a site in the countryside free of built form, notwithstanding the lack of five-year housing land supply. In that case, there was no heritage or protected species issues. Here there are. I suggest the decision here should align with Sparling's farm and refuse permission. A private email from the PO agreed that there were similarities between the two sites, but he has refused to include this anywhere in his public report. A further example in the case of land adjacent to Aylands in Bannister Green, 161071, in the case of developments for one house on a plot, just over half the size here. The distance to Aylands, a listed building, is in the order of 35 metres, which is greater than here. Further, this is a six metre wide grass verge and mixed native hedge to the planted, which I suggest mitigates some of the adverse impacts. No similar proposals are made here. In short, I believe the construction of eight dwellings amounts to overdevelopment of a site. There should, I believe, be a buffer, buffer zone between any proposed development and the listed buildings to help mitigate the impact on the settings of listed buildings such as the 30 stroke 45 metres referred to in the current CO's report. While this may lead to a development being scaled down to two or three houses, I believe that such a number would be more appropriate having regard for the rural location of the site. For all these reasons, I believe the planned application to be refused in its present form. Having spoken to Historic England this morning, they confirmed that all areas up to a listed building's curtilage are protected and all buildings are proposed listed within it. It's just a matter of the CO's report that a 30 stroke 45 comes either from the boundary edge or the listed buildings closest to the boundary. Thank you very much. <coughs> Thank you, Mr. Clark. Um, Debbie Mitchell. I'll be briefer. Um, according to um, Cambridge Historic England, the main because the main bounds are listed um, and the boundary is the curtilage, um, that includes buildings that have been there for 20 years. Um, and these would include garages that are built at the end of the, the gardens 
and therefore with Mrs Bosworth's suggestion of a 35-40 metre um, buffer zone, it would go to about halfway into the development one side and halfway into the other, which I think Steve might have mentioned. Um, and the other thing I, I'm interested to know is what the um, Felsted hub is. Um, the developer has suggested that he will um, make a donation to this um, should he get the proposal agreed. And I just, I, I've tried to do some research and it, it says that the Felsted hub doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, I wondered what this, the um, developer is thinking he's going to pay into as it's a non-entity, as far as I can see. And they're my points. Thank you very much Thank indeed. Um, Jackie Keith, sorry I took you out of order. You have three minutes. Thank you. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak today. I'm a resident of Stevens Lane and I live in one of four of the listed buildings because there are actually four. There are three barns, uh, three, three barn dwellings and a new tree cottage. Um, I'm not, not anti-development as such, uh, but I do feel that appropriate measures are taken to preserve the natural surroundings and the lives of residents and visitors who enjoy our tranquil and our quiet lane. The quiet lane to which I refer is designated as such and with a width of 2.8 metres is suitable for only one car to pass at a time unless you drive onto front gardens and verges. Adding a new road will add more pressure to the already poor condition of the lane and present an added danger to those who drive and walk in it as well as the children who also play on the road. We are talking about the possibility of an additional 16 to 24, possibly even more, um, if you include siblings and visitors. Um, add to that deliveries and visitors to another eight dwellings um, that will incredi incredibly increase the, the, the transport in the, in the lane. Highways have stated they have no objection. However, no detailed report of conditions on a day-to-day -day basis, to our knowledge, has been conducted or an assessment of whether large vehicles, e.g. dust carts, will be able to access the new road without incursion onto nearby gardens or verges. If we talk about precedence, then surely a new road is setting one, which could in the future harm the rural aspect of the lane, setting a precedent for other such access for new buildings or developments. Barbara Bosworth mentions in her report that a precedent has been set by the construction of two houses on the lane, this is very different to a development of eight houses and an access road, which will infringe on the 30 and 45 metres from the curtilage of the listed buildings, either side of the proposed developments, and a new road. Eight houses is just too many for the lane to sustain, whilst maintaining the quiet rural aspects we currently have, and you witnessed this morning, I'm sure it was a lovely sunny morning. I would also like to point out that the development of the two houses was approved through outline planning and not, I suggest, through, thought through properly, as two houses did not, did not fit, so one had to be turned sideways. The same developers, I understand, will be dealing with the proposed eight buildings. Surely it is inappropriate to approve outline planning for eight houses without first seeing a full plan to ensure that they actually fit. With such a small area to play with, the position of the houses needs to be carefully thought through, taking into account distance from listed buildings, access to said buildings, materials design, and that, and that will be 100% appropriate to the setting, and an assurance that the developer complies with all regulations. 
One of the assurances given for this development is that the hedge road be kept. How will this be regulated as the houses built across the road from the land, that land had, a, had the same stipulation but the hedge was taken down by the developers and nothing was done? There is now a laurel hedge which is not a native species and doesn't support wildlife. The land where the two new houses have been built, um, all the trees and hedge were just removed on one Saturday morning without considerations. The newts were relocated, but their numbers are now non-existent in the new pond. A precedent has been set by the Council to refuse planning twice on the proposed site over 20 years. I would like to ask councillors once again to consider sticking with this precedent and to refuse outline planning, at the very least until full planning proposals are presented, a full highway survey conducted for the new road and its impact and conservation approval of the development. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you very much. Um, Lee Prowse? Yep. Hi there. Uh, my name is Lee Prowse. Um, I live in Utree Cottage, which is one of the adjacent listed buildings, which is 16th century. I would say I'm the owner, but I don't count myself as, as an owner. I am looking after that property for the future generations because it is a listed building. Once you ruin the area, damage the area, it's gone forever. When we first moved in, it had uh, some flooding type issues related to it, and we have done a certain amount of work to alleviate that problem so it no longer has a flooding issue. Where does that water go? It goes in that ditch, which is, everyone says is bone dry. I can guarantee that ditch is full at certain <coughs> times a year. It protects that listed building. If without that, it's going to be a problem. I would like to highlight that the area which is identified is actually outside the designated uh, development zone. Um, the lane itself is a designated as a quiet lane. If you look at the number of properties in there and you add the two which are currently being built by the same developer plus another eight, that presents about a 50% increase in uh, properties, 50% increase in uh, potentially vehicles, delivery vans. I have three grandkids and they ride their bikes up and down that lane along with horses, people uh, taking their dogs. It has no lighting, it's pitch black at night. When it's raining and it's, you've got the puddles from other developments, they're fighting their way through it. There's no pavements to protect them. So my four-year-old granddaughter, when she goes down with her stabilisers, because of the camber of the road, she's in the middle. Do I want to see another 50% through traffic basically endangering their, their lives going forwards? Um, Cover flooding. Uh, da, da, da. What else have we got? Ecology. I think we've pr pretty much covered the ecology side. The fact that yeah, the newts got moved from the other sides. Yeah, if you empty them into a desert, they probably won't survive, and that's exactly what happened. It was a hole in the ground with no water. I very much suspect most of those are dead anyway. I suspect if they move, try and move them again, it could end up with exactly the same situation. Stephen has also uh, mentioned about the uh, about the Curtage area around the, the two listed buildings, which I think has been totally neglected. And I think that definitely needs to be looked into. There was also the other item was there was a right of access uh, item mentioned very early on along the side of Utree Cottage. Uh, that has been used as a right of access to the fields around the back for decades. And I think it does actually come into play. So I think you need to revisit that particular situation uh, because that, is, you know, that needs to be taken into account. 
My, the driveway yew tree cottage uh, comes out adjacent to where the access, access point is and some of the uh, areas there are basically identified as the main access routes. There's already visibility issues coming out of my driveway uh, because of the restricted area. I'm looking at potentially another eight houses feeding through into that junction which makes it, makes it even harder. My driveway is, and also that access point is used as a passing point for vehicles. So we have cars basically cutting into that gap. If you've got another eight worth of house, uh, cars trying to come out there, there's going to be a big accident risk around that as well because it's not designed to do that. My, you know, what I'm asking the, the members of the, the, the committee here today is, is to reject this. Uh, this was a long line. You actually rejected a proposal many, many years ago for the, the houses bang opposite me. And yeah, I'm just winding up. And this is actually a worse development. It's, it's actually in this stage which is coming through and it's just going to, there goes too many people, too many houses in that particular road. It's Thank you, Mr. Prowse. Thank you. We got it. Uh, Felsted Parish Council. Peter, you have three minutes. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Peter Watson. I'm assistant clerk to the Parish Council in Felsted. Um, we objected to this initially because it is contrary to policy S7. This site is in open countryside. Uh, the proposal is not for any uh, exception construction, which is the grounds on which construction could take place there. So that is our first reason. Our second reason, uh, Felsted is a type A village like Henham. Um, and as was remarked in, on the last application you were considering, um, all of the type A villages together are supposedly uh, due to accept a relatively small number, a very small number of buildings in the, uh, the period covered by the emerging plan. Um, Felsted has already, since those figures were put forward, uh, had 22 new dwellings built and a further 25 under construction. So we feel that Felsted has already fulfilled its, more than fulfilled its requirement towards the uh, housing need. Um, this is backfill development. All the surrounding uh, development in the area is linear, it's adjacent to roads, this is not. Uh, for that reason we find it unacceptable. Uh, we also question the suggestion that this is sustainable. Um, at the time the application was put in, there was a bus to Bannister Green, one bus on a Thursday, and that was withdrawn last May. So there is no bus. Um, the nearest shops are a mile and a half away, so clearly not within walking distance. Um, clearly, therefore, there would be a considerable amount of traffic using this uh, proposed site. Uh, and as already been said, uh, the road itself is woefully inadequate for an increase of that sort of level. Um, finally, we uh, observed in our objection that the biodiversity um, responses of the applicant were, frankly, a mockery. Um, and uh, totally ignore, to gave totally misleading answers to many of the questions, particularly about trees, 
Uh, I understand that some of that has now been addressed uh, with further correspondence, but nonetheless we feel that the, this rural site uh, should not be developed, and I ask you please to oppose this application. Thank you, Thank you very much. Um, Louise Gregory? Mrs. Gregory, I think you have 15 minutes. I don't think I need that, thanks. Sounds good to me. <laughs> we are only here this afternoon due to the need for the Planning Authority to revisit this application, which was supported unanimously by the Committee in September 17. The only outstanding issue being in effect the development would have on heritage assets. Your own officer has provided a comprehensive report on all other issues relating to the application with a firm recommendation for approval. When consulted, the Conservation Officer in her response has stated that the residential use of the site, which is between two Grade 2 listed buildings, would be unlikely to diminish the setting of the heritage assets in any greater degree than the modern housing already in existence. She goes on to state that the proposal is acceptable in principle, which in effect is what an outline application is there to achieve, subject to a well-designed scheme which would be subject to the reserve matters application should permission be granted. The various site layout plans submitted to date have been indicative to show that eight dwellings can be accommodated on the land. The density of dwellings compared to the size of the site is low at only 12 dwellings per hectare. Therefore, eight dwellings can easily be satisfactorily accommodated in lots of different ways. The indicative plan, excluding the garages, shows that the two nearest houses to be roughly between 30 and 45 metres away from Utree Cottage, which the Conservation Officer believes is acceptable. The indicative plan shows all houses to be separated from each other by between 10 and 15 metres, which is significantly above other modern housing developments and more than the properties, the ash, the cedar, the maple, etc., on the other side of the road. There is therefore significant scope to increase the separation distance from Utree Cottage if necessary, which the applicant would be prepared to propose when a detailed scheme comes forward. The applicant is more than happy to undertake pre-application discussions with the planning officer and conservation officer prior to any reserve matters application being submitted in order to achieve a good and acceptable design. We believe it would be possible to achieve a larger separation distance if required. In any case, full planning would be subject to an appropriate layout amongst other issues such as landscaping highways and sustainable drainage. In summary, the planning issues were dealt with at the previous committee meeting and accepted by the planning committee with no change in circumstances since then when eight dwellings was considered acceptable. The only outstanding issue, therefore, is the matter of effect of the development on nearby listed dwellings and with an appropriate layout, the proposal is considered to be acceptable. It is also worth stressing that since the previous decision, the Government has issued its draft new MPPF. This is putting even more pressure on local planning authorities to solve their five-year supply issues. We would, therefore, sorry, we would therefore respectfully ask the Committee to grant permission. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Mr Gregory. Um, Okay, we have no further speakers, so it's over to the committee. I'll take Mr. Brown first. I'm sorry, this is going to be very brief. This is going to be very quick. Just to pick up what the agent just said there, she made a lot of references to your previous consideration of this application. Some of you committee members may not have even been there. That's irrelevant. 
we are considering this application from scratch. Um, the local, the, list of, the impact on the list of building was the primary issue why the application was quashed and sent back to you. But a lot of what you've just heard doesn't just cover listed building issues. So you do need to consider the whole of the issue from scratch, not just be, oh, is that there's an emphasis. If, you've, if you're criticised for missing something out, then you can, in consideration, just, over, just consider that point. So you still need to consider the point in the whole round, but we've now added the listed building bit amongst all that into the mix as well, just to reset that. Councillor Fairhurst and Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think we are very fortunate to, to be on this, count, this committee because we went to visit places like this. It's a lovely road. I was quite surprised how beautiful it was, and I would certainly be walking there again myself one day. Um, we also need housing. That's important. I want to make particular mention of the officer's um, response after our visit to produce a little map like this, and I congratulate him. It's amazing turnaround time, and I thank you. Um, and it goes to the nub of my issues here, because our conservation officer, and we, we are very privileged to have the conservation officer we have, um, pointed out that the listed building and, and, and approach to listed building is critical, and it gave us these distances from which we can draw sort of radii and establish what land we can use without affecting our listed building. Um, and it's pretty conspicuous from your drawing that there isn't much space left for, for eight dwellings. That's not to say we shouldn't have houses there. I think I would love to have a house in that region and walk on that street, but it looks to me like a little bit crowded if you're going to try and get houses in that space. So my point is this. If we look at the conservation officer's report, which I actually found quite, quite comprehensive, um, we're trying to achieve two different things. On one hand, we need to build houses. On the other hand, we have to recognize and respect the environment we live in um, and obviously not, not to detract from my, my heritage. So I think on that basis, already I have a problem with the conservation issue. The second I have, and I must point it out, is, is on page 49, um, about the comment made about policy Gen 7. Um, it goes through quite a lot of detail in terms of newts and bats and all sorts of creatures. Um, hair streak butterflies, I don't know what they are. Um, and it sort of says things like existing translocation newt pond and removing people and encouraging bats to move and so on. And I've been, always been a little bit skeptical of it. You know, if we're going to move everyone, then it's fine. We've got no problem with any kind of environment. So I would have a question mark about that. So at the moment, I'm reserving judgment, but I'm afraid on issues Gen 7 and the conservation one, which I think is ENV2, I would have significant problems. If it had this been a, an application, an outline application for, say, four or five houses, I would have probably been inclined to say, well, let's give it a try and see what happens in detail. But I'm not sure you can do that with eight houses. So, so at this moment, um, I'm not in favour. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Fairhurst. Councillor Lodge, and then Councillor Freeman. Uh, thank you, and, and thank you also to officers for producing this so quickly. Um, I, I was going to say I had a few questions. Mr. Brown answered the first one. Thank you for, for that. The second one, then, is a little bit more detail on these separations, and should we be measuring the distance from a, the curtilage of the listed building to be the curtilage of the new build, or from the new build to the listed building itself, or some other combination of that. So I'm not quite clear on that. And if you look at this, this, um, uh, this diag diagram here, whilst we're 45 metres from the original listed barns, the question also then comes up is of the other buildings within the curtilage of the, list, of, of the listed property, which I understood were also considered to be listed, um, house number eight is in fact only seven metres away from there. Um, 
so I need some, some clarification on that. Then if you go over to the left-hand side of the site, presumably west if this is a north-south facing thing, um, we've shown that house five is in fact 30 metres approx from Yew Tree Cottage itself. Um, this actually ignores the fact that uh, I've, I've got a nice scale ruler here. House number one is only 20 metres away. So why have we looked at what is not the closest house? So I have some severe doubts over, over what we, we've actually been shown here and would like some clarification. And coming back to this for what is the third time in recent months, it would be very useful to have the, uh, the conservation officer here to, to talk about this and we seem to persist in not doing it. Uh, I'm going to ask Mr Theobald to clarify the 30 and 45 metre buffers. Thank you, Chair. Just for cl clarification purposes, uh, since the site visit this morning, I have spoken uh, with the conservation officer face-to-face uh, -face, uh, on the, the way in which she has set out her assessment on the separation distances. Now, it's something I suspected, and uh, what it isn't is a recommended buffer zone between the two respective listed buildings, one either side of the site. So I repeat that now, it's not her opinion of what should be a, a sufficient separation distance to protect the, uh, the setting of those two listed buildings. Um, what she did, and it is just a matter of fact, and uh, it's just a bit of a variance on the, uh, the survey uh, figures. Um, she just simply did um, measurement on one of the um, option layout drawings to say, looking at the scheme and simply commenting on the submission, that there would be a 30 metre distance approximately from Yew Tree Cottage on the left-hand side to the nearest frontage dwelling. Now, it might help. I've purposely not gone on to these, but these are the originally submitted site layout drawings of a varying uh, degree of uh, design. That being the last one, which showed the hedgerow on the frontage to be retained. Now, I haven't got yet. Yeah, it's that one there. So, what you can see on the plan in front of you, um, with the 30 metres and the 45 metres superimposed, uh, she is taking it simply as a frontage um, development, uh, with the 30 metres going to plot 5, as you can see. Now, she recognises that it would be different. Um, much less if it was from the corner of Utrecht Cottage to the nearest corner of Plot 1. Um, but she has simply done it as a way to say, well, this is what it would be for a measurement on this side for one of the option drawings. And similarly, the same exercise has been done on the other side to Stevens Farm Barn where she's taken the 45 metre distance to the principal listed building range, and that is the converted barn units. She hasn't taken it to the, the two 
single-storey buildings you saw when you walked up the track. And I asked her the reason for that, and that is because, in her opinion, she would look at the principal list of buildings uh, on the site, and she would not regard those in themselves as being primarily listed building assets. So that, that's just clarification on the, the drawing. Thank you, Mr Theobald. Councillor Lodge, is that okay for you? Well, just I'll, I'll go on to give my opinion. That, those, those were just the questions. I think that um, we've had clarification on buildings within, within, within the grounds of, of a listed building. Um, it is a bit concerning. I don't know what leaving aside listed buildings is, is, uh, is seven metres actually enough there that's a, but, but just come back to that as a question for later but if we're then looking at the western end um, it is pretty ludicrous to take the 30 metres to the front and ignore the 20 metres to the back particularly that one impression of that site really was that it's quite elevated at that point so in fact uh, building number one let alone number five would seriously overlook the uh, look yew tree cottage and I, I would be anti allowing that so if this was a detail coming to me I would I would be very worried about about uh, five to degree and number one in particular so I think my overall conclusion is that I don't think we could fit eight in here reasonably I think we we probably have to accept the principle of development there but uh, overall eight looks too much and I'll sort of wait for some other comments on that before I make a final decision on how we might want to play it. Uh, though I would just ask that one particular question, is seven metres enough away from any building, never mind a listed one? Okay, thank you. Uh, any other comments from the floor? Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, it is a sort of very hard thing, this, because it actually this is the reason why in our emerging local plan we're talking about new settlements because new settlements tick all the boxes and they're generally speaking built in fields where okay fields are very nice but we've got quite a few of them whereas this is an existing settlement and this is the challenge that we're looking at and the amount of this committee time we spend up on things like this uh, is disproportionate to the actual amount of houses that get built I'm not saying we shouldn't do it but actually we should get on and build the new settlements get on with it before we have them imposed upon us my suggestion was going to be, and I imagine there's all sorts of thoroughly good reasons why we couldn't do this, is that you simply take a radius from the nearest point of each of those listed buildings, the genuinely listed ones, the old buildings, not the ones that happen to have fallen within the curtilage uh, when um, the law was put in place, uh, and draw a radius, I would suggest 45 metres, uh, and say, actually, you can build in the space that's left, and if you do that, sensibly, you'll end up with much fewer houses. But I think that's the only way of protecting these listed buildings. I've lived in listed buildings myself. I've modernised two of them. Uh, U-Tree Cottage is one half a very listed building and the other half is there. And the barns are something else. Um, but that's what I would do. Uh, you end up with about half the site then that can be developed. But it should keep everybody happy. Maybe not the person that's trying to build eight houses. But you can't always get what you want. Uh, okay, thank you. Any other? Councillor Wells. Are we at liberty to grant permission for a lower number or does it have to be eight or nothing right there? I'll let Mr Brown answer. 
that's the problem, Councillor Wells, isn't that we've already, because the, this is one of those ones where it's an application for eight, and uh, usually up to could be one or eight, and that's why I don't, the issue over principle is one thing, but because we've got a specific issue over eight here, and uh, which you could fit on the site, I think you could fit eight houses on the site, but members need to make a judgment in terms of whether eight houses and its impact on neighbours, etc., is, is, is acceptable. Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you. Let me come back, Mr. Chairman. Um, just a question, and it's a question to, to Mr. Brown. <coughs> the character of this street is quite unique, and we are, are obliged to try and look at that and take into consideration. And the thing that I noticed there, and I, and I need guidance on this, it was linear development. It was typically English linear development. Houses built on this side of the street, houses built on that side of the street. Mm. And if we start building houses in from that, aren't we changing things and starting sort of, to, to, you know, I'm not saying it's a thin edge of the wedge, but aren't we doing something outside of the character and, and this is one of the things you're not allowed to do sort of thing. I guess just look for guidance. I think the answer to that question is yes, you are changing it. And, uh, you know, because, you know, whichever way you're going to get eight on there, you're going to have two banks of eight, two banks of four or three and five or however you want to do it. You're not going to get eight along the frontage. So therefore, there is going to be a change in character and the members need to make a judgment, having visited the site today, whether, there's a, whether that's harmful or not. So on that basis, unfortunately, I would, I would propose that we reject this because there are too many houses, because, because the nature and character is offended by the process. Um, and, and maybe there's another way, but I just think we don't speak into this time. Policies to that no, 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 I'm just going to can go I, through the Can policy. I please ask you also, though, for the environmental, the, 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 gen, the Gen 7 as well, please? Can, I, we, I, can I, we just park Gen 7 for a minute? I'll come okay. on to that issue in a minute. Um, so, <laughs> so obviously you've got... Now, I'm assuming you're, you're talking about the impact of the development of this site, its impact on the list of buildings and the character of the area. So that would be N2. And I'm wait for a nudge from the right of me here. Left, left of me. What would be just gen, gen two, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, I would suggest there's seven, M two, and Gen two. That would cover the character of the area. Now, I know when you your opening gambit bit was about uh, Gen seven and the and the was basically the ecology issues. So can I, I think we just need clarification of where we are with ecology. And I think just whether or not that can be added or not. The, you may, there was a reference to, well, uh, First Basics reference to some of the questions in the biodiversity questionnaire submitted with the application being either inaccurate or misleading. Um, and I've looked at those and certainly there were some blanks there where I felt there could be some um, uh, due, due, due um, uh, fleshing out. So, but the, the environmental, sorry, the, the ecology report that followed, um, the initial ecology report um, had a deficiency regarding reference to bats, but then that was then revised, uh, covered the bats. It also included all of the newts in relocation, etc also reference to there being a further survey on emergence. So I've looked at that and I cannot see any discrepancies uh, per se with the ecology report. 
We do have an ecology. The ecologist has raised no objections. So to, to add Gen 7 may be a dangerous one. Okay. Um, I find myself in agreement with Councillor Fairhurst on this. I think uh, also Felsted Parish Council, I think this should be perhaps linear. All of the closes around there are linear, whereas this is something that is stacking houses behind each other. The houses at the rear have a substantial effect perhaps on Yew Tree Cottage. So, um, for my mind, I shall not be supporting this application. Um, right, I have a recommendation for a dismissal, and I have a seconder. Can we go to a vote on that issue, please? All those in favour of dismissal, please show. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those against? Abstain. Abstain. Okay, that matter is dismissed. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, UTT 17-2238, full, Oaklands. Councillor, I'm oh, sorry, Mr Theobald will take us through it. I just promoted you. Thank you, thank you Chair. Uh, just one piece of housekeeping. We've had a sub-rep from the developer uh, in a letter dated 8th of March. Um, who um, has uh, uh, made various comments, uh, but uh, obviously essentially supporting the proposal. 
So I'll just go on to uh, the scheme very quickly because uh, members saw the site this morning. This is the site. Um, as explained, it is um, between the Erwin 20 bypass uh, to the south, uh, the Telewimpy housing estate to the right under construction, uh, to Ongar Road to the north, and then the Red Row uh, development being built out to the northwest. Uh, this is the scheme, this is the revised uh, scheme and uh, this shows the market housing uh, essentially to the, the right hand side in the middle here uh, and also down here and to the bottom here. Uh, there would be two um, market uh, bungalows here which would be the accessible units and wheelchair accessible if required big pardon and uh, affordable to the top and these would be affordable down the side this is um, profiles across the site in various directions you can see there is a gradual slope from the Ongar Road frontage uh, through the site down towards the a120. Uh, the site has a mix of housing styles and types uh, with a range of bedroom sizes as stated in the uh, schedule to the report. And uh, this last drawing, um, as I showed, or tried to show you this morning, um, is a tree protection plan. And what that shows is the uh, highest quality trees, um, category A. Um, which would be retained and uh, the, the red by contrast are category U which are unsuitable for retention. Just one thing to say on this and it may come out in uh, the body of the discussion but it is the case that the council has served a tree preservation order on this site which was pursuant to a case of this high specimen oak tree being ring barked as members saw this morning and there was a fear that these other trees of high amenity value would also be uh, uh, going the same way. So there is a TPO currently in force which relates to the three larger trees you can see here which are um, on the surrounds of the pond and end up there as well. So uh, that chair is the proposal. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, Mr Theobald. Okay, we have no speakers on this item, so it's straight over to the committee for their comments, please. Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, can we go back to that tree preservation chart again, please? Now, I know not everybody here was actually present at this site visit, but one of the things with, on the... There's a red circle, big, the biggest red circle, and it's slightly to the, bit to the left of centre. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an oak tree. It's quite a large specimen. Okay. Um, and it has been very professionally ringed. In other words, the bark has been cut off in a perfect circle all the way around the base of the tree, uh, a gap of about four inches in old money. Um, done by somebody that exactly knew what they were doing. Uh, and that's very clearly 
so that that tree is not going to be part of the finished thing because it's, it's dead essentially. It's like, like cutting a carotid artery or whatever. Uh, as far as in tree terms, it's no longer a tree. Uh, and that was obviously deliberate, doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and I think that informs how we should deal with this particular application. It informs. It shows the goodwill or lack of goodwill on the part of the owner to have taken that precaution because a big tree takes up a lot of room. Uh, and so what I would suggest, and I, I think the site itself is okay, can we go back please to the image of the actual build-out, what you expect, um, the, yeah, the actual, sorry, the plan. Uh, and right at the very bottom, it doesn't show very well on this uh, projection, but um, right at the very bottom, the bottom corner is truncated. It's truncated because there's the A120 running across it. So that bottom corner is particularly noisy. It was quite noisy when we were standing just slightly above the centre of this site. Uh, and so what I suggest, Chairman, is that we apply as um, a condition, mindful of the approach that the owner has taken to the tree preservations, mindful of that, that we add a condition that the attenuation measures should achieve at least 10, 10 dBA, 10 decibels attenuation, under all conditions of the road noise. That's something that can be measured. You can go out and do it. We have a value already. I think 55 dBA was mentioned for the site. I'm looking for attenuation that cuts that down to 45 dBA on the site. It's perfectly possible. It won't be easy but I think it's a reasonable thing to do. The other thing is that the blue houses in the bottom left-hand corner, just so happens they're all affordable, uh, and air policy is supposed to be distribute these across yeah. the area. We understand why. It's the noisiest part of the site. I can go with that. But I think a, noise attenu a robust noise attenuation measure on this site is called for. Thank you. I'd just like to clarify exactly what you're asking for. Are you asking for 45 to be set as the limit? Uh, a 10 decibel um, dBA reduction. So we can 55, it, if it's reading 55, 56 now, you're indeed. looking to come down to indeed. say and, 45. And that's measurable. The point is yeah, the metrics... I, I take your point, it's measurable. I don't know whether it's achievable. Well, 10 dBA is... Um, it's a very noisy site uh, no, and I, fine, I, you know. Uh, if it's not achievable, Chairman, they can come back and argue with us and ask for it to be relaxed. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask Mr. Brown just to clarify if this is... First of all, I'm going to ask Clive on this one, to be honest. On the, on the, I will come back to you with the trees, because I can pick up an issue about the trees. But on terms of the... Would you like to pick up that one up? Right. With reference to the, the noise, there are two considerations here. First is external noise, and then secondly is internal noise by assessment. So the, the consultant noise report um, has been modelled on both scenarios, and uh, whether you're inside uh, a dwelling during the day, which is on uh, uh, the 16-hour uh, lek, or during the, uh, during the night, and also if you're example sitting in your back garden uh, sitting out area now the modeling um, in itself uh, when the noise consultants actually uh, prepared this report could not actually do a proper noise survey and the reason for that is because 
the construction work at both Taylor Wimpy and Red Row would have distorted the noise measurements. So therefore, it wouldn't have given a true reading of the, um, uh, the required DBA on all of the units. So um, in terms of, first of all, external noise levels, um, you haven't got a, a copy here, but I have um, uh, our own our own requirement is 55 dB, as, as you say. And for the external noise levels for this site layout, um, there were four plots which just failed, um, where they were 56. Now, the others range between 51 and uh, 55. Okay. Now, it recommends for those four plots that a, a sound attenuation barrier uh, be put in, which would be to the Design Manual for Roads and Bridges um, specification, uh, and they would be between 2, two metres and 2.6 metres in, in height. Uh, and it says that the thickness of the barrier will, as a minimum, achieve the requirements of paragraph 713 of that, of that manual. So I've looked at that, and so has the um, environmental health team who've commented on the noise report submitted. As far as the internal noise levels are concerned, um, it goes without saying, because it's set out here, that the, the plots farthest away from the ON20 uh, would be totally compliant. Um, and what it says uh, as a conclusion, I'll just read this to you. Um, it can be identified from the table for the internal noise measurement that the vast majority of the plots assessed will not achieve the criteria with open windows. So it goes on to say that the majority of the facades which are orientated towards the ON20 Anonga Road uh, traffic noise, and that's obviously pertinent to the affordable housing in the southwest corner, um, will require an alternative means of ventilation other than trickle vents so that future occupiers will not have to open windows during potential overheating events. So um, it's recommended for those that uh, there be a, a, what's called a positive input ventilation system. Um, so that would deal with the internal uh, Noise. So you could open the windows. Circuit this because actually this is going into a detail we don't require. Um, the inside of the house is I'm relaxed about because the owners or whoever lives there can improve the attenuation inside their own dwelling. That's a relatively easy thing to do. I'm concerned about the noise level, sound level, actually outside in the gardens, the green spaces. Of course, you can't do anything about that. And if you're telling me that we've set a 55 dBA level, uh, and that's acceptable. We've set ourselves an incredibly low bar. Uh, it's something you just step over. Of course, 55 dBA is quite loud, as we saw when we were halfway up that site. Now, we have here in the, in the uh, room, we have an expert, not necessarily on sound attenuation, but we have a highways expert in the form of Mr. Sprunt. Uh, he, for some reason, has joined us. I don't know whether he'd be willing to come forward and give us... Uh, I haven't spoken to him about this, but actually, since we have an expert in the room on highway stuff, I would suggest that we actually make use of that expert uh, and see whether it's feasible to bring the attenuation down to a lower level. Of course, 55 dBA is noisy and it's there all the time. 
Mr Sprunt, would you be happy to answer that question? I'm a highway so, man. So, so the question put to you is, I mean, is it sort of feasible that we could set a level of, say, 50 dB and uh, that it would be achievable? It's feasible to reduce the noise. I mean, we, we, we have a lot of schemes where noise levels are raised by, by additional traffic going along a route, and we, we, we mitigate that by putting up noise fencing of one sort or another. So it's certainly possible to, to do um, uh, with, with relatively straightforward um, uh, works. So it's, it's not something that's highly technical in terms of the, the physical uh, uh, things you put on site. Thank you very much indeed. Question, Mr Freeman? No, no questions for this witness, Your Honour. <laughs> but can I just say, we have done this before. Um, there was a site at Elsenham, very close to the M11, and we've built a bund, an earth bund, uh, to attenuate noise from the M11 motorway, to attenuate sound. Okay. So we've done that before, and it was a condition of that application. It's about 200 dwellings, I think. I can't remember the name of the site. So it's a reasonable thing for us to do. There was a lot of debate about this site being too close to the A120, and I think that it would be no bad thing for us to insist on making the quality of life for the people that live there better, especially as those are affordable houses down at the noisiest end. <coughs> okay, given the figures we've got, I'm going to ask that we say set this at 50 dB. Yeah, so we're going to try and condition this to say that we would like the attenuation on those plots to be down below 50 dB. Outside level. Outside, yeah. It's absolutely imperative we talk outside. Yeah. So outside at 50 dB, okay? And given that, yeah, okay. Can I also, sorry, while I'm on, can I also pick up the trees, which is, seems to be my more comfortable area for me? Um, um, the, it was noted this morning that there... Um, what you described about the, the basically the woeful destruction of, a, of, a, of an oak tree on the site. And that sets the scene in terms of moving forward. And I don't want to be in a position whereby that is flouted going forward. Um, so what I was going to suggest is that conditions suggested are boosted slightly. Um, if members look at page 78, condition 2, uh, which basically says prior to... Now, so it's something that I really want to start changing anyway, but prior to the commencement of development, now what it actually says at the moment is, with the exception of footings and foundations, full deep, now ignore that bit, it should be prior to the commencement of development, including groundworks and any other works pursuant to any other condition. That, now the reason I put that is, quite often someone goes, puts, wants to do a decontamination condition, or an archaeology condition, and they go on and dig a big hole and the trees die. So therefore, that's why it's really absolutely imperative that we put that on there. Secondly, I was going to suggest that we add a little L at the end and say that, so that is basically setting the scene of what that landscaping scheme should be, and it should be including the replacement, some replacement mature oak trees. Um, um, and for, second, and, and protection. Yeah, and protection, condition four... Um, is a similar saying. The condition four is trees protective measures are those to be retained to be implemented in accordance. And all that is talking about is the usual uh, British standard issues that put chestnut paling behind it. But I would also suggest that is prior to all development, including groundworks and any other works pursuant. And so therefore we will actually get in there quickly. So if we see anything on the site happening, then that is the beginning of the... That's the beginning. <coughs> Given the... Uh statements by Mr Brown and those conditions, I'm quite happy to uh, propose this from the Chair. Did you want to speak beforehand, Councillor Fairhurst? 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, yes, the trees were something we've got, and I rather love the creative resolution. I would strongly support that. But I'm very unhappy with the affordable houses being clumped in the bottom left-hand corner. We have a very strict policy in this committee about affordable houses being given the dignity and integrity of the same rest of houses, and we, we've asked on many occasions that they be spread evenly across the site. This site is a 1.2 hectare site. It's a large site for 25 houses, and I think it must be a better way that we can do this without defeating this object. So I would have a very strong objection to this situation as it stands now with affordables in the bottom left-hand corner. Sorry. Okay. Councillor Lodge. Thank you. Yes, I have a, a, um, a, a question, first of all, and that's concerning the, um, the, the great Dunmow Town Council uh, plan, the, um, the neighbourhood plan. Uh, in in 8.1 on page 60, um, the, the, the council comments that UDC has allocated 13 houses to the site. Now, I know something of that, that history there that I think it was maybe in a call for sites that came up. But in good faith, Dunmo Town Council have, have produced a plan which has had a referendum on it in, in the town. That has been submitted and approved by this council. The very real assumption was that 13 houses were to be allocated to the site. That is my understanding. Could you perhaps give me a, a legal and technical view of that? Maybe Mr. Brown could do this because uh, I would be inclined, hence, to try and limit it to the 13 which everybody locally has signed up for. <coughs> Mr. Brown. Right, the first issue of that one is the... It's the the first issue about the allocation and the acceptance that this site is within it's a term I haven't used for a long time. It's within the settlement limits. It's in with of the development plan, which is the Dunmo neighbourhood plan. It, has, it is allocated within that plan, and I think it's, it's commensurate with what we're, what we're moving forward with in the local plan for that for a lesser amount. Um, us allowing more on that site doesn't necessarily conflict with the local plan it just, of the neighbourhood plan. It is actually considering the application on its merits. What was the original, what was the original number? 13. 13 is a considerably low density on that particular site. And, to, and uh, I think, you know, to, that is accepted, and that's probably where the, the town council were coming from, or the re, but I think that may have been on half, was that on half the site? But I think it is a considerably low, so we're considering it still low density on this particular site. So it's, although it doesn't conflict with the neighbourhood plan, it complements the neighbourhood plan's allocation of the site and its inclusion, but members around this table need to consider whether it's an appropriate development in terms of density and impact, etc. But, we, but we, we were told very much that on, on Tiggers next door, that was outside of the plan, and, and, the, and the, the neighbourhood plan, which was adopted and voted at a referendum by residents there, and they are, they are enormously protected there, and rightly so. Here, again, it's something that they considered carefully and voted on, and we are not supporting the people who put a massive amount of work into that plan, which was adopted and adopted by, by this council. So I... I well, OK, that, that, that's a point I will make, make, make there, but just go on to think of some of the other arguments. And so... Accepting this as it stands gives me a problem, and this is, of course, a pre this is a detailed application. We've heard about the issues over the, the clustering of um, affordable homes. We've heard about the uh, the issues on the uh, on the 
deliberate killing of a tree. I'd, I'd, I'd sent somebody responsible for that for the tower for 30 years, but uh, I, won't, I won't let that affect my decision on the, on the plan. But maybe we could be a little bit imaginative and say the whole of that area should be replaced by appropriate appropriate trees uh, of, a, of a similar nature and what we'll be looking to do then is to limit somewhat I accept I accept the principle here but I think that this layout as it stands what they've done to the site and the clustering house I, I wouldn't want to I will accept a development here but I'm very concerned about the development as it's submitted and what, what might the mechanism be to get a more acceptable development here other than just turning it down and say having another go? Well, I think we have to consider the development that's in front of us. Uh, Councillor Fairhurst, and then I'm going to try and push it on. Yes, I think, I think th th those are valid points. Um, I still am passionately opposed to the, the affordable houses being one cluster in the bottom, the most noisy part. Um, you have a condition about the, the noises, but it doesn't, it doesn't solve our problem about adequate distribution. May I suggest, in terms of the neighbourhood plan, I think we're all mindful of the fact that a lot of organisations are putting together neighbourhood plans, and we want to be a council that supports neighbourhood planning. We want to, want to show that we are committed to the process. So might I suggest that even if we go for this as a, an exception to the neighbourhood plan, we actually, we actually state that. In other words, we recognise that 13 houses were, was in the neighbourhood plan, and we would normally adhere to that, but in this particular case, it's a fairly, it's fairly low density, and so this would be seen as an exception rather than we're not listening to the neighbourhood plan. Because otherwise, we are, we're not showing that our approval and support of the one plan we do have. I think we can do that. You can do that, because when you, when you were in a position when you've got this spanking new local plan moving forward, um, there will be development coming forward that may be exceptions to that plan that you would have to make a decision in terms of it. So, it, you know, you're making it as an exception to the local... To, so you're, it needs to be given... What, it has, it's the development plan, so it needs to be... It's got considerable weight, so yes. OK. Uh, anybody else want to speak? No? I'm happy to... Um, Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth. If I can assist the uh, committee on this. Affordable housing is transferred to registered social landlord approved bodies uh, under the Home and um, the Housing and Regeneration Act. And those registered social landlords want all their properties clumped together. They have one title which considerably reduces their costs and it's also administratively and managerially convenient for them. In a nutshell, it's the RSLs who want the houses together. I appreciate that, but then if you're going to clump them together, we don't put them in the bottom where the most noise is and conspicuously showed us to, to be affordable housing. That's not what this current committee is all about. So I, I'm afraid I, it's not good enough. Okay. Can... Clive? Thank you. Just Sorry. for clarification purposes regarding your point on uh, the, the clustering, um, it was a bit difficult to, to show uh, this, this morning because of the, uh, the, the, the wind. Um, but uh, the... This, this scheme has been uh, negotiated in terms of the affordable housing provision on the site, which um, as 40% uh, of, of 25 is 10 units. Okay. Now, what you can see here is um, this, uh, this 
from here to here is eight units, okay? And then the, these are four market dwellings to bookend the site on the southern end. And then you have, this is uh, the market housing up here, you have a pair of affordable housing dwellings right at the, the frontage. So it was to sort of show that you'd got uh, affordable at the top, uh, market in the middle and in the corner at the bottom with the remainder being either affordable or the um, wheelchair accessible bungalows. <coughs> okay, uh, look, I, I think what I'm going to do here is I'm going to propose a deferral and let the um, plan come back to us with perhaps a revised layout rather than a refusal and rather than go forward. Are you, is that going to find a seconder? Yep. Right, that's found a seconder. Everybody unanimous on that? Yes? Yeah, everybody happy? Right, moving. He, it would be very convenient if everybody convenienced at the same convenient time. I think <laughs> right, uh, Councillor Fairhurst, if you'd like to come down from the gods, <laughs> we're back. We're nearly back. I've lost John. Jesus. We have to defer that one because we're not going to be
Okay. I know. I'm going to buy the issue for less than me bags. Right, we're back. Uh, UTT 172352, full application for Welcome Break Service Station, Dunmo Road, Birchhanger. And we have one speaker, which is the agent, Jennifer Smith. Oh, no. Uh, Jennifer, could you just follow the presentation? I was told I to speed a, things along. Yeah, speed, not I've decided, I've decided to cut things Speeding things along out. and speeding things along. Uh, Does that help if I tell you what it's all about first? <laughs> Mrs Denmark will now do her presentation. <laughs> Thank you. This application relates to the Birchanger Green Welcome Break Service Station. Um, the land involved is part of the internal road network which is around here and the days in... Um, hotel which is here their car park is there and um, and then it involves some land on the highways and the works which are required within the highway um, don't actually require planning permission because they can be done under permitted development which the highway authority have the right to do or people can do on their behalf um, so the proposed works will require the removal of a small section of hedge here might help if you know what the removal of the hedge is for. It's to create a, um, an exit slip road for HGVs at peak times because the service station essentially gets itself tied up in a knot and um, they've got very limited green time on the traffic lights so they can't get out. And if you've got HGVs at the front of that queue of traffic trying to get out, because they take so long to pull away, often only one vehicle can get out and then essentially it can take um, according to the information submitted it can take up to an hour to get out the service station so the proposed access would require the removal of the hedge and setting up the junction and the car park to the hotel will be reconfigured the site is in a green belt there would be impacts on the um, character of the green belt but it's considered that the development falls within paragraph 90 of the MPPF is acceptable. And so notwithstanding this, the benefits of the proposal outweigh the harm. The scheme has support from the uh, Secretary of State, um, who's had to issue a special direction to enable a second exit way from the um, service station to be to allow us the right to grant planning permission for a second um, exit way. Highways England, Essex County Council Highways and Hertfordshire County Council Highways um, all support the proposal, although Hertfordshire County Council has raised some concerns about the potential for traffic to go towards Bishop Stortford. Um, it's considered unlikely that that would happen given that they would go straight into traffic jams and um, a lot longer journey time trying to get through Stortford rather than going straight back onto the strategic net road network which is just here. Um, so on that basis it's recommended that the application is approved as set out in the agenda. Thank you Mrs Denmark. Uh, Jennifer Smith. I'm sorry for the long delay today. It's not my fault. Uh, 
Um, my name is Jennifer Smith and I am for Welcome Break who operate the motorway service area at Birchanger. The application before you proposes the creation of an exit from the site to provide relief from the significant level of congestion experienced within the site as a result of queuing traffic. This is caused by capacity issues at Junction 8 of the M11. As a result, traffic is unable to leave the MSA in a timely fashion at peak times. Peak times for the site are between 11am and 3pm, and the build-up of traffic due to the inability of traffic to leave the site means it can take more than an hour for vehicles to leave the site. Queuing can be so bad that traffic queues through the site and back to the entrance, um, back to Junction 8, which prevents um, drivers entering the site in the first instance. This is a highway safety issue. The primary purpose of the motorway service area is to provide the travelling public with the opportunity to stop and rest. The inability of vehicles to leave the site runs contrary to the, this principle and is a particular issue for commercial drivers who have a limited legal driving time. We have now discussed this matter over the last four years with Essex County Council and Highways England. We have investigated alternatives including rearranging the internal layout of the site and provision of extra green time on, uh, on the lights at the motorway junction, but these alternatives have not worked. The proposal before you is the solution identified in partnership with the County Council and is supported by Highways England. This proposal creates a new exit onto the A1250, which is for exiting the site only. It will allow HGVs to leave the site via the A1250 and the A120 and to rejoin the M11. Essex County Council has agreed that this would result in a simple reassignment of the traffic on the route back to the motorway rather than creating new traffic journeys or alternative routes to local roads. At the County Council's suggestion, a left-hand turn lane to allow traffic to turn towards Bishop Stortford has been provided. Their rationale for doing this was that traffic going to Bishop Stortford would use the A1250 in any case. It would not encourage new vehicle movements. Essex County Council are also of the view that traffic will not try and wrap round through the services because anyone who knows the site also knows it would take longer to travel through the site rather than round the edge on the, on the appropriate A roads. Because this proposal is considered a departure from road policy, the scheme has been reviewed by the Secretary of State for Transport, who has agreed that the scheme is a suitable solution to a significant problem. With the endorsement of Essex County Council, Highways England and the Secretary of State, your officers have recommended the application is approved, and we respectfully request that you grant prime permission today. Thank you very much. <coughs> Thank you very much, Jennifer. Um, we have no other speakers. Um, I am going to ask Mr Sprunt to come up to the front, if you would, David, and just take any questions that anybody has for you. Uh, and we'll start with Councillor Freeman. Thank you. Um, you need to switch your microphone on. It's that one. There we are. Good. Okay. The, um, the, the question I'd like to ask is why don't you just increase the green light time, if that's the... Um, if, if that's the cause of the problem, just give them longer on green light. Uh, it's much cheaper. Give me a big answer to that one. None of the traffic coming off the M11 will be able to get off it. I mean, that's basically the, the, the capacity of the existing uh, junction is so, so sensitive that there is no time. Highways England have actually looked at maybe trying to tweak. Uh, the signals a bit, but there just is no, no spare capacity on the actual circulation itself to do that. Very briefly, just one other question, which is, if this is for HGVs, I have no problems with this particularly, but if it's for HGVs, how do we make sure only HGVs use it? That seems to me to be quite difficult. <coughs> Mr Sprunt. 
Um, you, you can obviously put traffic, traffic orders onto, onto these uh, restrictions on these and there will be, we have asked for significant signing to be put throughout the, the site to make sure that people do stick to that. So. Thank you. <coughs> is the junction going to be traffic lighted? Otherwise, how is it going to operate? It is, it, it is a traffic lit junction, yes. Well, the new junction I'm talking about. The, the, the new junction onto the, uh, onto the uh, Dunmo Road would be traffic lit and it would also provide for pedestrians to cross to and from okay. the um, uh, bus stops as well. So it would provide an extra facility for that as well. Under, under that, the answer to that question then, what's the distance approximately in metres from this set of traffic lights back to the junction with the existing roundabout at Junction 8? I would estimate somewhere around about two or 300 metres but it's, that, it's as far as that, is it? Yeah. So you're certain that there isn't going to be a backup from there, this there, set of traffic lights that's going to come back onto the roundabout? There's enough capacity between them and we would want the signals linked together because the new the roundabout is actually changing to a set of signals as well. Ah, um, okay. So those two sets of signals would work together. That, work, that scheme is coming forward starting beginning of 2019. So these two schemes would almost come together at the same time. So, uh, so basically you're assured that, or we can be assured, that the traffic isn't going to back up off of this set of lights when the lorries are coming out to cause a jam on the roundabout? We, we have done that piece of modelling work right, and we're okay. happy that that will operate okay. Okay, Councillor Fairhurst. <coughs> Sorry, just a niggle here, but I'm concerned because... We've discussed highways and on and, and, and 9.1 they're unable to give us um, a formal response. Are we making a decision here in the dark? Um, I'm, I, I just think we need a response. We have to act on, on highways advice. They're the specialists in this area. I'm afraid I'm completely in the, I haven't a clue what's going on here um, because I'm not an HTV driver and I, haven't, I just don't know how to work. But we've been sort of guided by... by, by hope. I would, I would like to think we had an offer. This is a highways issue, surely. Highways England have said no objection. Essex County Council Highways has no objection. And Hertfordshire County Council don't object to the proposal, although they do have some concerns about the potential for traffic going the other way. So all the highways authorities say it's okay. Sorry, I, I must distinguish you. There's a big difference between we have no objection and we give you a formal response on the situation. It says, um, I'm, I have given, I'm unable to give you a formal response. So, sorry, page 89. Maybe I'm missing something here. Highways England only offer okay. no objection or issue a holding direction. That is usually their response. And they have... Is that a formal response? That is their formal response. Okay, so their formal is response is the date of their letter was the 12th of February and their formal response was offer no objection. That's all it said. I think David will vouch for me here. That's a hell of an achievement to get no objection from the highway. It is. I mean, we, we, we had asked that there were some, some conditions, I think, and, and sort of some, some minor things on the site to monitor what actually happens post-implementation. So there has been some dialogue in, in that okay. respect of it. That's, so that's that hence the reason we've ended up with no objections. The only thing I'm going to add to this is having actually tried to get onto the services and got in and then decided it's too busy and taken me half an hour to get out the other side, uh, I think that any mitigation is going to be a step in the right direction. Okay, anybody else want to comment? No. Uh, 
The recommendation is for an approval. I'm happy to propose that from the Chair. Seconded by Mr Chambers. All those in favour, please show. That is unanimous. Okay, thank you very much indeed. And uh, thank you, Mrs Smith. Sorry it took so long. Thank you. Thank you, David. Okay, moving on before anybody else leaves the room. <laughs> UTT 17, 2961, full application, Clavering Farm, Mill Lane, Clavering. Mrs Shoesmith will take us through it. Thank you, Chairman. Okay, the um, application site forms part of Farm Complex, uh, which is located north of Mill Lane in Clavering. It accommodates uh, several agricultural buildings, uh, which has a shared access and car park area. So um, this is Building 1, uh, which is the subject of the application, and this is the main access into the um, agricultural complex. Um, the access into the site itself is a single uh, track lane from Mill Lane. Um, track also provides access to the top of Clavering Lakes and Clavering Farmhouse, which is located uh, to the north of the site. Building one, um, building one here currently has permission for a use class B8 use, which is storage and distribution. The application before us is a retrospective application for the change of use of part of Building 1, which is this bit here, um, to a retail use. The retail shop will be for the sale of um, fishing equipment. Uh, the proposal will not be associated with the current B8 use and will be a standalone retail use in its own right. No statutory consultation objections have been received. Um, a number of uh, neighbouring occupiers have raised objections which are outlined within the report. Uh, these are mostly surrounding traffic and amenity impact. Uh, just to give you an idea of the use, this is uh, an existing elevation and uh, the unit in question is this here. Um, the whole of the northern flank elevation and this element here of the building to the rear. Um, this shows you a picture of the unit that we're talking about. Um, again, the side elevation here. The principle of the use has been discussed within the report and is in accordance with local plan policies and the MPPF. Paragraph 12.8 of the report outlines the use of conditions to mitigate mitigate impact upon residential amenity. The, use, the existing use of the building as a B8 use has the potential of larger uh, haulage vehicles. The change of use of part of the building to retail as a, as a result is not considered to be a material increase uh, or will have a detrimental impact upon mm -hmm. residential amenity um, considering the size and scale of the, uh, of the unit that we're talking about. No objections have been received from highways in regards to access or the adjacent public uh, right-of-way. In terms of um, keeping the public right-of-way clear, 
which has been raised within um, objections. This can be dealt with by way of an informative. As part of the application, 19 parking spaces um, have been uh, demonstrated to be provided. This meets the maximum requirement of 22 spaces in terms of the use. Therefore, um, in this respect, the scheme is considered acceptable. There are no ecological or flood issues that are raised by the proposal. In conclusion, the application is recommended for approval subject to conditions that have been outlined on pages 107. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Mrs. Shoesmith. Uh, we have one speaker, Councillor Edward Oliver. Two speakers. Okay, sorry, you're completely right. The wheels are coming off here. Actually, I've got three. I'll start with Councillor... Just stop it, all right? Councillor Oliver. Thank you, Chairman. There was great pity that you didn't have time to make a visit to the site, but we fully appreciated that time is short and you have had visiting large sites, potential large sites in the southeast of the district, and this, of course, is in the northwest. The problems here are not what is said in the paper, but what is not said. In consequence, you're not getting a full understanding of the site, which I would suggest may give you good reason to postpone this item for the next meeting. Most of redundant farm buildings are by the road. This farm, with its buildings, is a mile down a single track road in an in open countryside, a single track farm lane. It's a mile. There is a degree of movement already there with the fishing lakes, which are about a third of the, two-thirds of the way down this mile track, and there's another third of a mile to get to this site. And those fishing lakes, of course, are owned by the applicant. There is a gate across the entrance of the, the track, or the lane, which I presume is to stop late-night fishermen taking away the carp, etc., that are in this, this well-popular pool. But delivery, so those gates are closed. Delivery access, drivers do not have access, which gives disturbance to the residents of both Clavering Gate and the other house across the road, Millview, Mill because the delivery drivers have no real regard for time. If they've got to do a job, they'll do it, whatever the time is. The lane is also so narrow that when I visited this, uh, down, I went down there the other day, I ended up in the drive of Clavering Gate because that was the only way that traffic coming the other way could get past. So... And there are very few passing paces on the lane on the way down. So you'll have no idea of the distance from there, there if you just look at the map that you've been given. It's also claimed in uh, the agent's report that this is a well-managed site. Frankly, I would suggest the reverse is true. For example, when the industrial site at what is now Eldridge Close and Clavering closed, the industrial units went to the smaller barns in the site 
Was planning consent asked for? No. What was happening only came to light when the tenants started advertising their wares. There was a glass blower down there, for instance, and he was advertising courses. And respective consent had to be asked for. Now we have the same situation again. An application for retrospective permission. And clearly the applicant was aware of the need to apply, having had the problem before, and seemingly just ignored the required planning permissions. Also, when I visited the site the other day, and you have to go through the site 